Recorded live. Welcome to the Colton Collective Podcast. Now, here are your hosts. Dave AC and the Sixth Doctor. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Colton Collective Podcast. I'll just um, slip this money over here, and uh, you just slip me the bag with the uh, uh, the episode in it, and uh, we'll be good. What are we talking about? Are we talking about Breaking Bad or Recovering Doctor Who episodes? I don't know. But Dave AC is here, and um, I'm not feeling too well, so I'm just going to rely on ringing this bell over here whenever I need anybody's attention. Uh, well, I'll just take a little bit of a precaution. Uh, you see, I got this bottle sent by my brother-in-law in a box. I just had to hide it in another room, just in case. Hi, Ian. <laughs> Hello, Dave. <laughs> All right. It's a, it's a, it's a special day. Uh, we're going to be covering Breaking Bad. Plus, we're covering breaking news. Well, it was breaking a little earlier this week in stages, depending on uh, on, <laughs> on the BBC's uh, mood at the time. Anyway, let's see who's joining us. Yes, this news brings everybody out of the woodwork, including our very own Mr. Dart Skeptical. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. How are you? Good, good, good. Glad to see you uh, back for a little bit. <laughs> Indeed. Also joining us, it's our very own Jesse Pinkman. It's Mr. Randolph. Oh. Hello. <laughs> I wonder who moved my bell. <sighs> Glad to have you along. Um, for those of you who don't know, he's our resident uh, cooker. I mean, um, our, our, our resident uh, Breaking Bad expert. Um, and so he'll be leading the discussion a little later on. Uh, so we're going to be having fun. And of he course, needs uh, an we'll assistant. <laughs> he needs an assistant. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks for that interruption. Now I don't know where I am. Anyway, <laughs> if anything goes wrong, we always have to have a doctor on, on site. So we've got Jeff, the seventh doctor. Mm, hello, Mr. Burns. I mean, Ian. <laughs> I was just checking on Homer Simpson, one of the carbon blobs from Sector 7G. <laughs> you sound nothing like him. I don't know why anybody would think you sound anything like him. <laughs> uh, 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 just I tried. Just in case, Jeff, uh, I think I might, I'm uh, type O blood, just in case. <laughs> He's type more low blood. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind, Dave. There's more Merlot in there than anything else. <clears throat> All right. Well, every every uh, every every meth lab needs to needs to have a uh, an, uh, <laughs> another cook. So we have Mister Cuddly Ken cooking on the side. Good afternoon. I think I'm the danger. Am I the danger? Well, it depends on whether you're giving up smoking or not. Are you still carrying that pack of cigarettes around? Oh, that's true. Well, I don't know. It's just rice and beans to me. <laughs> Hang on. What's this under my chair? Does anybody know what this is? Yeah. Anyway, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Perry. That's probably why Perry's not here. He's like as far as season two. The end of season two, I think. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that's all that's uh, 
on audio. So it's uh, about time to lower the cone. good. (laughs) (laughs) We only have him along here for clarity. Absolute clarity. No more of your blue jokes, Ian. (laughs) Let's crack on. Anyway, (laughs) there's only one more person to introduce, and we don't let him touch the stuff. It's the Typing Monkey. It's news time. Go, another monkey, go. I think he's a bit slow today. (laughs) It slowed down his reflexes. He's a bit out of it. (laughs) All right, when I say news, I just mean we've got one piece of news, and it's the only piece of news that matters. Um, We've got new episodes of Doctor Who. And I don't mean the, you know, the day of the, the the next episode of the, in the series or the Christmas specials coming up or anything or the next series I mean we have new Troughton everybody cheer come on yay, yay! wow jeez don't do drugs kids don't do drugs <laughs> <laughs> so um, some of you may remember months ago we were talking about all this uh, rumor and conjecture that there were you know Missing episodes had been found. It was convert. We were getting all these episodes back, and, uh, and of course, the, you know, people on both sides, you know, oh no, oh, it's not possible. It's not gonna, never gonna happen. BBC were denying. Well, people on the BBC were denying. You know, we don't. I don't know anything about you know episodes being found. Couldn't possibly tell you anything because I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, apparently, they've been sending, <laughs> sending. Uh, some good marks out into the, the press. <laughs> but we can now tell you, well, actually the BBC told us, that the Web of Fear and the Enemy of the World have been recovered. Well, almost <laughs> all of the Web of Fear, apart from uh, episode three. But some of us have some conspiracy theories about that. So um, what we'll do is kind of do what we don't want to do with the show um, coming up in the next uh couple of weeks or so to give people time to to download this off of iTunes. Yes, the day they announced it, both stories went up on iTunes that night. It was amazing. I, I Watching Facebook, seeing people go, I'm going to go watch Web of Fear. I'm going to go watch Enemy of the World. This is crazy. Um, it, it's kind of a neat thing to see because, you know, we're, we're so used to having, you know, Doctor Who back on our screens that, that you know, I mean, it's nice just when when we get a new episode of the new series, but this kind of excitement just just doesn't happen all the time. Um, and uh, so yeah, we're gonna do what we do, kind of um, with with all of it, and uh, we're gonna give people time to 
to, to download the episodes, you can go to iTunes. And really, for, I mean, for the price, being able to watch it right now, uh, it's $10 per story, uh, which is fantastic. Um, i got to thank uh, um, uh, Claude uh, for, uh, he had, uh, for my birthday. He had given me a $10 uh, iTunes gift card. Guess where that went? <laughs> yes. Um, so we're going to be doing reviews of those coming up, and we'll announce the, uh, uh, the dates on the episodes uh, uh, as soon as Dave and I have figured it out. <laughs> and uh, we're going to treat it like we would uh, a, a, series of, uh, a, a new series episode. As, uh, we're going to get together and we're going to review the hell out of them. So, um, but uh, before that, uh, today, before we get into our main topic, I'm going to kind of go around the room and um, talk to everybody about what this is like. I mean, this is, we don't get news like this all the time. Um, and uh, to, to, to step in right now is Dave to stop me from fangirling <laughs> and to give my voice a break before it, it dies again. Um, I wasn't actually kidding about <laughs> at the beginning of the show. I've actually not feeling well. So, Dave. Well, since uh, Ian, Ian called me chopped liver at the beginning of the show because he said nobody's seen these. Uh, of course, I have seen them. Trouble is, of course, uh, Alzheimer's kicking in at my age. Um, it's difficult to re- remember the stories, although I do have uh, very fond uh, memories of the the underground adventure. And of course, one of the great things about the timing of this not only is the fact that we're approaching, obviously, the 50th anniversary, but of course, we had um, uh, connections to the uh, the Yeti and the underground story in the uh, the latest uh, Christmas special. So for uh, newer viewers of Doctor Who, and those who indeed been watching it in 2005, um, you know, from, will be at least familiar with the great intelligence, and, and that may give them a lead-in. Um, and just in case there's anybody out there that, that just it just doesn't twig with them, uh, these are black and white <laughs> stories. I don't think we need to actually mention that, but uh, since we did. Uh, yeah, um, great that they are not only two stories almost complete, um, episode three, the was that was a doozy. That was a fantastic episode. In oh, I just can't tell you how good that one was. But um, you of course, suck, the six, you suck. Yeah, they're they're, they're six. Yeah, it was all the all the all the denouement or whatever it was. It was uh, it was absolutely a turning point in that story. Um, but um, the fact that they are six, <laughs> they are six part stories. Because they've been wandering around for the past like twenty years, going, yeah, no, not as good as you make out. I've seen it, seen it. No, no, it's not that great. I've seen it. <laughs> no, uh, until David Tennant came along, Patrick Troutman was my favourite Doctor. Although I've still got a great fondness for, for many of the other Doctors, including the third Doctor. But, um, yeah, Patrick Troutman was the one uh, that I liked all love. Only when he got rid of his daft stovepipe hat or whatever it was. But, um, yeah, I haven't got a lot to say about the actual episodes themselves other than the fact that it was slightly... Um, some of the surprise was taken off when we'd had all these rumours about not necessarily a hundred Doctor Who stories being found, but a catch of stories including other, uh, you know, uh, BBC stuff from that time period. Um, so there, there was a feeling that there could be even more. What is the great thing, of course, is that, and, and maybe others will debate whether this is the best thing or not, if we're going to have, uh, there were 11 episodes found, found of course, two of them which were already in the archive, so there were nine new originals. I mean, I don't know whether it would have been better to get a couple of episodes from five or six different stories, or whether it would have been uh, better, I think so, 
in the way that we've got virtually two complete stories. And as was mentioned by, I think it was Jeff, that um, the possible likely thing to do with episode three is to actually reconstruct it, to animate it. Uh, that is probably cost-effective when you've got a six-part story and you only have to animate one of those six. Uh, it, it certainly makes, makes it possible. The, sp the other thing that surprised me slightly is the speed of which... Uh, this is, well, you might say speed. What's he talking about? The man's an idiot. Uh, these rumours have been going around for a while. But when you think of, um, you know, the Galaxy 4 stories, and I remember how excited Darth was when we had two uh, individual episodes found. Um, I mean, it was weeks before that got a showing, and then there were weeks of restoration. Now, it could well be that these, and it has been talked about that um, where they were found at this uh, relay station in Nigeria, they had been kept in optimum conditions, which is absolutely amazing when we consider, I mean, obviously it's got to have been some sort of air-conditioned uh, storeroom of some sort, and as so rightly has been pointed out, 40-odd years later, to still, and presumably never open for many years, and, and hopefully the person who found them was wise enough not to actually open the tins until they got somewhere where they could be opened in some sort of, um, you know... Uh, special atmosphere or whatever it is so i'm going to let somebody else talk but i am highly delighted look forward to reacquainting myself with these stories and um and then i may even remember what happened in episode three of the web of fear ian all right yes um i was gonna say it's interesting actually before the show we were talking about you know um as everybody knows darth is uh has kind of uh, been on hiatus uh, recently, uh, trying to steer clear of any uh, upcoming rumors of yeah, Doctor Who. And so, you know, I myself, I was wondering whether he had actually managed to hear about this. Um, but of course, he heard about it uh, through uh, the iTunes charts. And the interesting thing about today's show is the iTunes, like, uh, top, was it? Uh, there's 18, it's a screenshot on uh, DoctorWhoNews.net. There's 18. Um, um, TV series that make up, uh, yeah, uh, sorry, um, seasons that make up uh, this top 18. Um, and uh, for the UK charts, uh, the first two are, are of course, uh, Web of Fear and Enemy of the World. And uh, aside from Homeland, <laughs> the rest of it's pretty much Breaking Bad. <laughs> and uh, the same for the US. Uh, the US, uh, the uh, top. Uh, uh, the number two spot and the number four spot are taken up um, by Doctor Who, um, with a good portion of the rest being taken up by Baking Bad. <laughs> yeah, I think Colton so, just failed to make that list. <laughs> yes, there you go. <laughs> next week, next week. Yes, we'll make it next week. Yes, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is in there, too. Not a bad show, actually, considering it's a, you know, cartoon. Oh, digress. Or, anyway, you know. But, yes, uh, so I thought that was quite interesting. But anyway, speaking of Mr. Darth Skeptical, Darth, um, please take the stage and fangirl all you like. <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah, you know, the, I was totally kind of blown away by this. I, to answer Dave's question, though, uh, which is a really good one, you know, and it's one that I guess you play all the time as a, a Doctor Who fan, if you're a fan of the old series, um, would you rather have had full serials as we basically have here, or would you rather have had a smattering of episodes? And i got to tell you, I would have actually preferred the latter. 
um, they, the things that I really kind of want are, you know, like power of the Daleks one. And, uh, one thing we don't apparently have here, web of fear three, um, and um, Highlanders 2, and, you know, I can just point to a number of different things that I would rather have had because I'd rather have the sort of critical... I'd love to have Bell of Doom, which is the fourth episode of The Massacre, um, to see, of all things, the introduction of Dodo because it's it's actually interesting. It's one of the most interesting uh, times that a companion comes on to the TARDIS. The unfortunate thing, of course, is that She's such an awful companion. But for those last two minutes of Bell of Doom, it's it's kind of glorious. At least it sounds so on audio. And certainly it contains the, the best speech that William Hartnell ever gave. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, as a general concept, I'd rather have bits and pieces, as long as they were the good bits and pieces, than to have the entirety of, uh, of serials. And I think that this fine kind of, after you watch it, it shows maybe why that is. And, and the Troughton area is really bad for this. I mean, everybody loves Troughton. That's fine. That's completely understandable. He's freaking amazing as an actor. But the Troughton era has some real problems in that it is dominated by these six-part or more serials. And inevitably, ex- with the possible exception of the War Games, which, although being the longest, never seems to drag so much, um, the the six-part nature of the Troughton era does mean that some of those parts are a dud. I mean, for instance, you know, part two of Web of Fear, uh, I think Troughton must have been on vacation that week. He's not in it. Uh, so you'd really much rather have not had two, but instead got three. Um, and, and, and the other thing that's weird about Web of Fear, and good in a way, um, is that each episode really has a very different tempo. I mean, you know, episode four is sort of the full-on battle with the Yeti, and there's a lot of action that's going on in it. Episode five is this weird contemplative thing that, uh, you know, where you really feel the claustrophobia of being in the London Underground and how each different party that's in the Underground is failing at what they're doing. You get this great scene with Nick Courtney um, losing everything, right? And you just see the man who would be Brigadier just bereft emotionally. It's a great performance. Um, and, you know, the other thing that Web of Fear just makes you long for is how great Unit would have been if it had been like this group of soldiers. Because the great thing about Web of Fear is that every one of the soldiers that you meet has a personality, has a perspective on life, um, has, and, and this is quite crucial, a different, a radically different British accent so that you feel like, wow, you really are dealing with the British Army, not just, you know, a couple of people who are really pretending to be a part of the British Army, which was really, with all due respect to Ian Levine, not Ian Levine, John Levine and uh, Richard Franklin, I mean, they aren't really that much cop when it comes to pretending to be soldiers in the army, especially when you see Web of Fear. Web of Fear just makes you think. Unit could have been spectacular. It could have been filled with characters and, and you know, really giving you a slice of British life and, and, you know, giving you people who were afraid to be in the army or who were paranoid or, you know, all these different things that you see in Web of Fear, which is one of the great things about it. But still, even though you do get the full experience of these uh, serials, I still think it would be better, kind of, just to have gotten a little bit more of the of the Trouton experience. 
But I will say this much. At least what it does is, it, is it, this might potentially reverse the trend that, with all due respect to Dave and his love for Zoe, um, you know, I, I think this reverses or will help to reverse the trend of believing the Troughton era is equivalent to Jamie, Zoe, and the second Doctor. To me, season six is a wasteland, except for war games. It is really a, a, a quite, and maybe, you know, episode one of The Mind Robber, which is kind of funky and cool. But largely, I, I really don't like Zoe. And I don't think that I particularly like, you know, Victoria, but I like her a lot better than I like Zoe. Um, and and that one of the neat things about this find is I think it shows you why season five is kind of different. Because it's not just that we have two serials, right? It's that we have two serials which are narratively continuous. Um, in other words, we've got, you know, one series, two series that followed each other in broadcast and not only that, but followed another serial, right? Followed Abominable Snowmen. And what you see is because they're, they're lovely references in Enemy of the World to Yeti, right? And you see how the Yeti are really quite important to the whole scene. It's not just that, you know, you've got this idea of these Yeti on one side, Yeti on the other side. You actually, you know, it's sort of a theme of season five is this whole nature of the great intelligence and what they're up to and Travers and Travers' daughter and, you know, time travel. And the, the whole season five is a lot more integrated, I think, than that people have realized in, in the past. Um, and by people, I don't mean, you know, real Doctor Who fans like, who really studied it know this. But I think people who just sort of, have skipped over the Troughton era because they can't deal with reconstructions. And believe me, that's completely acceptable that you can't deal with reconstructions because they're, they're a difficult slog. But now having moving pictures to sort of, you know, link up what you know about the one episode of Abominable that exists and now Enemy of the World and going straight into uh, Web of Fear, you kind of see this line of development. And you can, for Victoria's sake... You know, you can see where she starts because you've got the one episode where she more or less is introduced in of Evil of the Daleks. And then you've got, you know, the whole of Tomb of the Cybermen, which is her first real adventure. And then you now have these two serials and a little bit of Abominable Snowmen. And so you can kind of see how she's developing. And she's not, to my mind, what she has now is liberation from being just annoying. Because I think if all you have to go on is Tomb of the Cybermen, she's kind of annoying, really. But here, you, you, especially in parts of um, Enemy of the World and, and I would say part five in particular and maybe a little bit of six of uh, Web of Fear, you really see her as being quite competent and quite interesting. And um, it, it makes a nice through light. Oh, yeah, and of course we now have Ice Warriors too to watch. So, I mean, you've really got essentially an entire companion restored to you. And that's that's something that is quite good um things that are maybe not quite so good about this are the marketing of itunes it really really bugs me that the itunes blurb and we should mention of course that this is a historic moment right because this is the first time that episodes of the classic series of doctor who have ever been initially released to the public through digital download that's kind of a cool thing and it's kind of really cool that it's the second doctor that's forging new ground like this because you know this is how it's done in the new series but it's nice and, and we might think 
This is maybe how they're going to approach it if they ever find more. Maybe they have found more already. Maybe this is a part of the plan. So this was a little test of how well it is marketed. And it looks like that they are winning. It looks like they're, you know, because they're so highly placed in the charts and everything, that this is proven to be a financially successful thing. So maybe it will mean that those other episodes that they are inevitably hoarding, it seems like, uh, might now come out. Uh, but one aspect of the digital download thing is you're dependent upon the iTunes description of the um, the serial. And I got to say, the, the description for Web of Fear is, uh, what's the right word? It's just a lie. It's a whole lie. And it, it kind of pisses me off. Because it, what it stresses about Web of Fear is that it is the introduction of the Brigadier, which it is, you know, as a, a point of fact, that is what the episode did. But, of course, they're missing episode three, which is where the Brigadier is introduced. So do you actually get the introduction? Kind of, but not really. So it's a little, you know, I guess you can kind of turn your head and cough and not really think about it too much, but it, it does bug me a little bit that that is how they have managed. Let me see if I can find the exact words because it really it stressed me out when I saw it. I was like, really? This is how we're going with this? Oh, yes. It, well, it, well, I mean, straight up, it features, it, huh? the, it features the introduction of Nicholas Courtney as Colonel Lethbridge Stewart, which, you know, it does, but they again, they don't have episode three. So unless you want to count the boot that you see at the end of episode two, as the introduction of Nicholas Courtney, uh, then it's a little bit of a lie, uh, really, in term, because they don't really tell you on, on the site. You have to kind of know, because uh, they don't actually give away that they don't have episode three. And that, that's another thing that's kind of weird, is that in the description that they have of episode three on iTunes, in no way do they suggest that it's a reconstruction. Wait, are you sure? I'm looking uh, at the description right now, and it says the, the description. Uh, yep, 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 yep. I lie, I lie, I lie. You're absolutely right. It does say at the at the very end, but I mean, the, the, it's really kind of. I, I find that it's. I think that it should be bolded. I think that it should be made a little bit clearer. It's, and not only that, this is a minor quibble, I suppose. But should they really be charging the same price for that? As the, the other episodes, shouldn't that be maybe ninety nine cents instead of a dollar ninety nine? I kind of think it should be discounted in some way because it's not the same value as the rest of them, is it really? Um, but still, nine ninety nine for the whole package—that's pro that's probably what they're going on. But see, if you no, because if you sell it, if you buy the episodes individually, and I don't know why you would do that, but if you do buy it individually, it's going to cost you twelve bucks uh, to get the whole thing instead of nine ninety nine for the season so I, I yeah i mean i think if you're talking about individual price for episode that should not be dollar 99 but you know that's it would all be better actually if they give them the first episode away free and then you pay to watch the whole of it because that might have got drawn more people in i don't know dave when you look at the um itunes charts and you not the season chart but the episode chart and and you look in um well, it, the individual episodes are not actually at the top of the right. full uh, of the TV chart. What they're at the top of is the TV genre chart. So if you look at science fiction fantasy TV, then um, for time, yesterday and the day before, in the UK, there are 10 slots, right? 
nine of the slots were Doctor Who because there couldn't be ten. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which was at in the UK and in the in Australia it was also pretty strong like that. In the US, not all nine of them, but maybe like six or whatever. But anyway, the point is when you look at the individual episode um chartings, episode one of both of them were the top download. So I gotta think it, it has made some financial sense for them to have right. charged for all of them. But, yeah, I mean, you got to – I don't know what the preview is like because you know, I haven't checked the preview. There is one. There may not even be one. I think there is, yeah. I'm actually oh, surprised, I'm surprised that the UK one has done so well because there has been some resistance from people in the UK thinking, well, we paid for this once when it was made by the BBC – and, and we're paying for it again. But I think you're right, uh, it's been a good move because, first of all, it would be much quicker to do this than having to fabricate or whatever it is for the DVDs. Yeah. Uh, so it got it out much quicker. And I should just well, say, only, by the, the way... The only person and, and who I, paid for it when, uh, when, it was, when it was actually made that's still alive, Davis, I think... It's you. you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, wasn't, I, I wasn't paying for a TV license then. I was at home with my parents, but still... Oh, well, yeah, then you've got no um, reason to complain. Your parents were paying for right, it. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. uh, just just one word. It's probably irrelevant, but let me mention it anyway. I mean, mm. uh, just in case people are going to spend the hard-earned money on these episodes, anybody who goes after Darth, we don't want to give too many plot points away. I mean, I know you could say, well, it's an old thing, but the point is if they're going to you know, pay the money to watch an unspoiled episode, then we ought to respect that somewhat. Mm. Well, the, the wonderful thing about this, too, is that People who've got into the new series and had started kind of maybe watching the other, you know, um, story here and there, the classic series, this is one kind of, this is like a, a almost like a drug. People are just going to be jumping on the bandwagon and like, well, everybody else is buying this. I've, I, I've got to get in on this. And, you know, this sucks them mm -hmm. right into the second doctor. It's like, boom. Oh, I got to watch more of this guy. Where's more? You know, and hopefully there is more and they're going to be, you know, this is, you know, this is great. It is great, yeah. Uh, the, uh, not giving away specific plot points, but I think one of the things this has done for me is, um, and and this is largely because, honestly, um, I I had just, maybe a month ago, done a, another sort of detailed viewing of the reconstruction and read the script alongside of it, you know, to really get an impression of what the story was. And I had to say, what was in my mind for these episodes in terms of what was actually on the screen and what was happening completely different in in many regards to um, what actually happened. I'll, I'll give an example from the, the publicly released trailer, right, uh, for Enemy of the World. There's BBC released a little, not, not trailer, but they released a little clip of episode one of enemy of the world where the doctor sort of races around the beach and does the swimming thing at the very top of the episode. Well, I mean, you know, when you watch that in, in the reconstructed form and you listen to it on audio, you kind of get the sense of what's going on. You kind of understand that the doctor is enthusiastic about being at the beach and that maybe Jamie and Victoria aren't quite there yet emotionally with that. Um, but, what you're totally unprepared for, what I was at least, was the nature of Patrick Troughton's acting. And that when he goes running down the beach, the the joy 
the joy that is in his acting, the fact that he is, as the line says a little bit later on, I'm watching some nut dance a jig on the beach. Well, you don't have an idea of what that means until you actually see it. And you're like, oh, my God, he's so incredibly sprightly. He's so, you know, he's literally jumping up and clicking his heels and falling back down again. And then he's tearing off his entire outfit and he's wearing long johns and, and jumping directly into the ocean. None of that information is really available on the audio. Um, and it's, it's quite amazing to see it. And what it, what it makes me think is that this effort to animate old episodes, I mean, I understand it. It's kind of interesting. It's a, certainly it's an interesting challenge for the people who are doing it. But in no way do I believe it anymore. I think before I kind of believed, well, they've got access to the you know shooting script and they've got a little bit more information and maybe they've been able to talk to people who've been able to tell them some specifics about the way that people acted. And so maybe I'm seeing something that is close to the truth. I don't even believe that anymore because there's no way I would have gotten the information that I got from actually watching the episode just from the audio and, and not even from the camera script. I don't think it, any of that could be, I don't think you can encompass the acting of such an exuberant actor as uh, Patrick Troughton in words. It just has to be there. Um, and and that's, that, that's the one thing that's been restored to me, you know, because I really do think that the Patrick Troughton of the season six is a different beast. He's a tired man. I think he's making a lot more, safer choices in terms of his acting. I've never really liked that part of the Troughton experience, except for maybe, you know, War Games, I think he did put it back on again. But I, I think for a time there, he was really, according to all reports, he was really cranky. He was starting to become very difficult to work with. And it, you can kind of see in his performance, it's not joyous. But when you see these episodes, I think what you get is a sense of this was magnificent stuff. You know, and it also just it highlights so much what crap performances are the two doctors, the three doctors, and the five doctors. That that is all that is a caricature of the greatness of the man. And it, it I think especially when you see you know episode one of this, and when you see the the performance of Salamander. I mean, when you see, I was talking to somebody the other day. Uh, and they were looking at, we were kind of watching the episodes together, sort of. And they were just like, I, when, I, when they were looking at Salamander, they were like, okay, the worst thing that I can say about this is that it sounds kind of like he's doing Desi Arnaz. And I'm like, is that really such a crime? I mean, Desi Arnaz is one of the you know, most instrumental TV actors of our time. Does it really matter that he might have been copying Ricky? Does that matter? No. But the the point that the the guy was saying that I was talking to was like, other than that, honestly, that doesn't even seem like the same actor. I mean, I know it is the same actor, but the performance is so radically different from the second Doctor that it is just magnificent. And then when you compare that to the recent example of Nightmare in Silver, and you look at Matt Smith trying to do the enemy kind of thing, it is just amateur hour it is matt smith doesn't know what the hell he's doing it's it's all about the small things when you look at the the trout and performance of salamander it's all about you know the the modulation of the voice the the modulation of the eyebrows really even the the tilting of the head the very small movements that he's making um that 
just divorce that character from the second doctor. It's incredible for that reason alone uh, that it's, it's worth getting that. And I, I've always thought that if we could ever see the performance um, on screen, really, that we'd be blown away by Troughton. And I think that's absolutely happened. So for that reason, I'm really glad to have Enemy of the World back. But anyway, I'm talking like I do. So, I, I was just, I, I was just talking about that. The, the, obviously, the uh, sorry, Ken, but the, 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 they did have a lot more close-ups. It was a four-by-three screen then. I mean, now they've spent the money in all the effects, so they they do the widescreen bits and and probably the. I mean, the the old adage from the first Doctor was that he used to twiddle his hands in front of his face because if he didn't do that, they wouldn't see his gestures. I mean, they used right. to go into very tight close-ups, but uh, yeah. Uh, Without having re-seen these, uh, I do remember the fact that, you know, you could see Patrick Troughton thinking, oh, sorry, you could see the Doctor thinking through Patrick Troughton's expressions. Anyway, yeah. uh, Ken. Yeah, Garth, um clarify, with with Webb, uh, third episode, they mm-hmm. did a, uh, would they still have a, a telestap reconstruction? No, it's better than a telestap reconstruction, because now they obviously have, well, first of all, they didn't have telesnaps. I don't. I think I'm right in saying there are none. I could be wrong, but I think they don't. Um, so what they've done is now they have you know five episodes worth of material from that story, so they can take other parts of that and um, illustrate the scenes pretty well. And then they just do some Ken Burns effect over the top of it, so that the camera is always sort of moving. So it feels much more like you're actually watching something that is. Um, a, a television episode as opposed to a reconstruction. There's nothing. There's nothing static about it. It's done very smoothly. It's done very, very well. And the audio, it, the audio is massively improved. I mean, that was one of the problems when you're you're watching old amateur reconstructions is that they're using really bad audio a lot of times. Um, but with this, they're using audio that is of the quality of the other episodes. So it's very clear, very easy to understand. Oh, good. Uh, and, and I and I probably have had over the years. I probably have had six different Web of Fear reconstructions because people really like that episode. So there, lots of different groups have done it. Um, and um, the, I mean, this just this reconstruction just blows away all of them. I mean, if we could only have this much material, um, or, or actually, I think the thing is, really, nobody's done reconstructions since really the coming of the Apple. <laughs> the coming of the the easy use of iMovie and other things like that that where literally there is a button in i iMovie I guess that says you know Ken Burns effect and so you can you can force the camera to move around a still image I don't think anybody's done a uh, a reconstruction using a proper computer in a long time I, I'm pretty sure I've never seen one done in this style so it's good to at least see sort of modern approach to doing essentially documentary work really is what it amounts to. Oh, nice. Uh, um, it, it's, it, it's not that it's not worth any money. So when I say, you know, it, it shouldn't be a dollar 99, I don't necessarily mean it should be free because they have put some effort into it, but it shouldn't be. It's obviously worth less than a fully moving picture. I would have thought, um, but whatever. I mean, it it still is worth. You got to buy it because you got to get the introduction. Uh, the, it it just really sucks that the cliffhanger for it, the introduction of the brigadier is so close. It is within one second 
of being the cliffhanger of episode two. I, I, I take that back. It's within one scene. But nevertheless, the point is, it's like right at the very end of the episode, episode two. And if it had only, if they had only made it the cliffhanger rather than the actual cliffhanger that exists on episode two, and they could have easily done it because it's, it's a moment that is shocking and, and would have absolutely been a proper cliffhanger. If they'd only done that, then we would have the very first appearance of the face of Nicholas Courtney. Um, but we don't. It's, it's, the, it's the first scene at the beginning of episode three, so we don't have it. But the, the other thing is, sorry, one little thing. The other thing that is shocking, too, to me about Web of Fear and actually being able to see it um, is just the quality of Courtney's acting. You know, I, I've said in the past and taken some perhaps rightful flack over it that I, I don't really connect with Nicholas Cor- with the Brigadier. I like Nicholas Courtney as an actor, but the Brigadier has never impressed me. But in the web of fear, he's magnificent. He is absolutely spot on, and I love the fact that he is you know playing up the Scottish roots that he has that we later you know get reinforced in. Terror of the Zygons only. Um, but, you know, everything that he's dressed in, the whole Scottish, uh, you know, the Prince Charles hat or whatever, everything. Um, he, he's just sterner, but yet you can see him thinking. That's what's so great about him. In, in moments of crisis, you can see that he is willing to accept that maybe what this strange doctor is saying is correct. But yet he never breaks. He never like smiles at all. I don't think in the entire episode he never smiles. It, he's just magnificent in this particular episode. Better even than in the invasion. Um, I, but you know he he eventually becomes I think something that's not as good as this. But it's so great to see this beginning with him. Really, it is. Anyway, I'm sorry, Dave. I cut you off. No, that's okay. I, I've got a question about that. Anyway, I just wanted to mm. let the person know that's called in from Southeast Pennsylvania and. Um, um, we, we are doing the topic about Breaking Bad season one to four, but because we uh, follow Doctor Who so much, uh, we are covering the actual information. Um, I'm just going to very briefly unmute you uh, just to, to, to check that you are here for the Breaking Bad or whether you want to make a comment on Doctor Who, uh, and then I may well remute you. Of course, if you want to come and see what's happening in the chat, uh, if you join us in the chat room, uh, call ID 54821. So let me just uh, unmute very briefly. The caller on the phone. Hello, uh, caller. You're, you're unmuted. Hey, this is uh, Jason. I'm here to call about the Breaking Bad show. Okay. Well, um, we will be on that in about uh, 15 or 20 minutes, maybe uh, at the top of the hour at the latest. What's happened is that uh, for the Cult Collective, we're all Doctor Who fans, and it, just in case you're not familiar with that, there have been found some uh, old episodes from the second Doctor uh, Patrick Troughton and so we're just going around the room with the um, seven, six or seven people on audio to uh, talk about that so if you're okay with that and you're happy just to stay on the call or you can come into the talk to you room via the talk to you site the call ID is uh, 54821 but I, I, I will mute you but when we get to the Breaking Bad we'll certainly come round to you and uh, uh, give you a chance to talk on that we're only talking about seasons one to four and we will be talking spoilers, so you need to have obviously seen them. We won't be referencing yes. season five at all. We're doing season five next week. So I'm going to mute you, but thank you for coming in to the call. Um, but um, I will give you a chance to speak later 
or if you come in text chat, you can uh, be aware of what's going on more. Okay, okay, we're going to go back. Ian, who do you want to go to next? Ian? Well, let's go to Mike, because Ian's not responding. Mike, what about... Uh... Well, actually, hang on a minute. Before we go to Mike, uh, Ken, you actually only came in for that, and, and I did say I wanted to just mention something to you. When you said that with episode three missing, what about the actual teaser at the beginning of episode four? Does that not have any, the Brigadier in any part of that, Darth? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, once you get to episode four, he's no, fully in the story. You see it. But what I mean is, does the bit at the beginning of episode four give you a taste of what episode three was like? Is there not? But or yeah, does it go yeah, straight into the start? No, no. I mean, you do get a recap, but the thing is, that's well past the introduction of the Brigadier, because the Brigadier is literally introduced in the first scene of. Ah, right, right. Uh, yeah, you know, right. So it doesn't um, add to that part, right? Okay. Sadly, no. Uh, okay. Mike, I'm just going to go to Ken, because Ken had come in with that question, so it seems appropriate for Ken to perhaps go next on Doctor Just, it's. Like I said on, on a posting, it's like Christmas come early. This is the most amazing thing for this 50th year to have this, to find treasure like this. And uh, especially with, with Troughton, who's also one of my favorites. I, I, I love this. And the thing is, I think the BBC, for all the mystery, they handled this amazingly by linking it up with iTunes. You know, like Darth said earlier, they've never done this before. And it's groundbreaking to have a classic episode, to have a lost episode handled this way, to get worldwide recognition, to luckily have Frazier and Deborah Watling alive to be able to celebrate and uh, help with the festivities. Now, questions raised on, you know, what else is out there. Well, they know, and... Perhaps the publishers of Doctor Who Monthly already know, because they're ready with the covers of the DVDs. They're ready with covers of Doctor Who Monthly for the two alternative covers at the press conference. So even though this has been under wraps, this has been uh, bandied about for a while. So they may be working on stuff right now and just, you know, keeping it... uh, you know, hush hush, and they're not going to say anything until they can get maybe maximum promotion out of it. I think that's the way it is. Maybe, hopefully, expect something again around the anniversary. You know that they're going to do. But um, do you, do you have any thoughts on the, this idea of which episodes were found? Do you like the idea that we have almost two new complete stories? Yes, I, I, I mean, uh, the other just makes me hungry to have more. And you want to get people involved in the entire story and slices of, you know, it's like one more story, one more bit of treasure. You know, the frustration to me has been just little, you know, snippets of episodes here and there. I mean, for the archives, I think it's great. It's a blessing to have anything. But to actually be able to see a story that we never thought we'd ever see, 45 years gone and... I mean, especially for someone like you, Dave, that saw it originally, and it's, you know, when they never did repeats, 
and such a happy memory in watching these things to have it come back. I mean, I I can just imagine the thrill when you're when you're going to watch it. Because um, oh yeah, I mean uh, the 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 Weber Fear one. I'm <coughs> sure there'd be lots of people who just wouldn't have gone down the underground for the next few weeks. Yeah, I mean literally it had that sort of impact. And I'm I'm dying to see the Yeti, and I'm 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 hoping, you know, eventually they maybe bring you know the Yeti back in some fashion. Maybe this will start a clamoring, you know, for that. I don't, it won't it won't do that. Well, I, the, the, the one thing that this episode does is it makes the the stock of the Yeti go down. Well, uh, because in in restored clarity, it's obvious they're horrible. Mark one was much better than Mark two. Well, well, again, without being spoilerish, we 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 could. There is a reason why the Yeti may not look lifelike. Yeah, but it might it might put their heads to buzz. Let's maybe have a new, better Yeti. You know, I mean, they. I think they did a fine job bringing the Ice Warriors back, and in the same like, maybe, maybe that link will be there. Better, better than uh, antimatter bubble monsters. <laughs> But you know, just the, the the whole thing is, we we basically have been joking about this, you know. Oh yeah, what else in Nigeria? What other schemes come from Nigeria? You know, I, I got some swampland over in Florida for you. Um, and then to have it real, and them having a press conference, and again putting it on iTunes, it's. It's like all forgiveness to any bit of chicanery or 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 bluff that the BBC might be doing. It's a total class act of what they've done, and it, and and it's it's history making again. To have people go and have oh, right up there with Homeland and Breaking Bad, there's a lost episode of Doctor Who, and you know, like Ian was saying, to the consciousness of people. Going, what's what's this old episode of Doctor Who? I got to get into this. I've, I've seen the new one, and and that that's going to be great to have them experience that and to, and to experience the brilliance of of Pat Troughton to see what he does. And I, I I'm dying to see what he does uh, with Salamander. I mean, I, I I have the man love for Pat Troughton in everything he does. I mean, the man is, is like so versatile. You know, in everything, he just, he just amazes me, and and the the thrill of seeing the introductory, if not seen, but story with Nick Courtney as that character, and from with Darts explaining it too, and seeing that the differences and shadings and and the whole different variances of unit. Oh God, yeah. So you know, it is it, it is a Welcome, uh, welcome gift that, that we got this week. You know, unlooked for, and with 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 all the, you know, political and economic hell we've been going through in this country, you know, it's it's nice to have some happy. You know, well, yeah, I'll tell you, emphasis, isn't it as well with the time? You know, it's like it's like thank you, you've you've, you know, given us a a bit of birthday cake. Yeah, extra birthday. Okay, good. Okay, can, can I move on? Can oh, you? please, please go ahead. Okay, uh, Mike, and then we'll go to Jeff, of course. Mike. Yeah, this was 
this week we've got the, these, these two episodes, and as we've been hinting earlier in the discussion, this year, the, the, this year 2013, has been the year of the Omni-Rumor, as one of my friends on Twitter has, has named it. All of these rumors about, oh, we've, the BBC have found lust episodes in Ethiopia. They found lust episodes somewhere. They've, and all sorts of numbers thrown out of how many lust episodes have been found, anywhere from, oh, they, they found a few, to they found all 106 missing episodes in Ethiopia which is kind of unbelievable, to say, to put it lightly. But all these rumors and just, just all this back and forth, oh, the BBC have these, they're keeping it from us. There, there are negotiations going on, and uh, all this discussion is actually kind of harmful, and it could actually derail us, getting, the BBC getting the rights to secure these episodes, and just all of this back and forth, and no one was sure what was true, what's not. BBC not confirming anything at any point, not saying anything. So it was just hearsay the entire year and just all these different these different new events popping up and uh, nothing confirmed. But here we are. Uh, last weekend, of course, as we were recording last Sunday's episode, uh, late in the episode, uh, the, the, the Mirror over in the UK posted an article saying that later this week on Tuesday, the BBC is going to have a press event where they reveal missing episodes and then about an hour later, the, the radio, radio Times puts up an article, which uh, once the Radio Times put up the article, it became a bit more believable. Radio Times was the most legitimate source that we've seen for this omni-rumor so far, um, the most credible source, uh, saying that later this week we'll get to Troughton stories. And there was a, at the end of the article, the article had some quotes in it that were of interest. Uh, Ian mentioned the quote, a couple of quotes from BBC representatives, quote-unquote, saying that, as far as I know, there is no truth to these rumors, the uh, as-far-as-I-know qualifier. But the quote that I found interesting was that uh, the, BBC is, the BBC was saying that there's more to come on these uh, missing episode rumors beyond just these, these nine episodes, which, uh, is that true? Is that not? The only other part I've heard about that is on Thursday morning. Of course, the press, press event happened on Thursday morning, and so uh, the press event happened like at 3.30 in the afternoon UK time, and they, the BBC had, a, had an embargo on official press announcements until midnight, 7 p.m. my time. So, you know, that, that most of that day was or had people wondering, okay, what was seen? What was actually revealed? At one point, Outpost Scarrow posted, posted an article uh, Hinting as most as much as they could about what about what they'd seen at the press event without breaking the embargo. Um, the one thing of interest they mentioned was they spoke with a BBC representative about uh, the questions they asked. One thing that was mentioned at the event was that all of this rampant speculation among fans was actually a bit harmful to the negotiations the BBC were involved in in securing these episodes, and um, it almost cost the BBC the ability to secure these episodes and to present them to the public. And um, they, they, the BBC representative hinted that, that negotiations may still be going on for more episodes. So another hint, there might possibly be more to come in, in this missing episode recovered uh, department. So that's interesting to say the least. Um, yeah, just all these missing episodes recovered, and here we have two 
correct a complete story now. Previously, we had what just one episode of Enemy of the World, episode three, and conversely, we now only have episode three of Web of Fear missing. So interesting how that flip flop went. But uh, of course, they're both on iTunes, and that was the, that was the other neat thing there, as we mentioned. At the same time that the that the embargo was lifted at midnight, both episodes, both stories, I should say, went on sale digitally on iTunes. It was neat going on iTunes at like around 7 p.m. and seeing the logo there for the logos for Enemy of the World and The Web of Fear up on iTunes. There, these two episodes are back, and YouTube.com/slash Doctor Who, the uh, Doctor Who channel BBC, has had trailers for these, showing some of the uh, The Web of Fear showed a bit of comparison between the original. How, like how they had them, how they found them, the state that the episodes were in, and how they digitally remastered the episodes. So they they're looking great compared to how they originally did. I remember Dave mentioning the the staticky bars that the original clips had, and just how clean it looks now. But uh, as of now, I have both episodes, both stories on iTunes. I've seen all of the Enemy of the World, and yeah, as Darth was saying, there the acting there with Patrick Chowton and the dual roles. We've, we, throughout Doctor Who, we've had some instances of this. Uh, William Hartnell, of course, of the story, sadly, it's another lost, mostly lost story, where uh, William Hartnell was playing the Abbot as well as the Doctor. Sort of, um, and then later on, we have occasional stories where the, where the, the Doctor is playing both himself, both the Doctor and uh, another character. But this is perhaps the best instance of of that and uh, just seeing how he Patrick Chung's acting completely changes from from the doctor to salamander and you, you can easily tell you know the, the, tell the difference between the two if, if it's not just the the hair that you know the salamander's hair is parted Patrick uh, the doctor's hair is just that the mop top kind of hairstyle uh, just the the vocal the the, the the accent he uses it's it's great and uh Again, as Darth was saying, they're the uh, seeing comparing the actual moving episodes to the reconstruction changes how you interpret things, and there are there are episodes, lost episodes that I would like to see the originals uh, to find out exactly what was going on. I remember mentioning to Ian and Dave episode one, the power of the Daleks. Um, there's a there's a part early on in the episode where. On audio, we hear the doctor soon after he leaves the TARDIS. He encounters a guard on Venus Colony, and uh, all we hear on audio, and all we get with the footnotes, the subtitles on the re- on the recon, is that apparently there's a gun. Somebody picks up a gun. There's a gunshot, and then the doctor comments on uh, on how, it, oh, that's a fitting disguise or something. But we don't know what's going on. It's things like this that we it completely changes how we interpret just the, the sound, the audio that we get. And yeah, it's this is it, it. It's a huge thing right here. We have two stories, one complete and one nearly complete. Uh, I hadn't realized that uh, the the brigadier or Colonel Lethbridge Stewart was only introduced in episode three of Lethbridge. I thought he was. I thought he was. Thought it was earlier in the story, but uh, maybe they maybe they're holding that episode back for the DVD release. Maybe, yeah, but. I would I would think because that, that that's the one slightly sour note in the whole thing that one episode's missing. I don't think yeah, they would yeah. have done that deliberately unless they've got just a very poor copy of that one. Yeah, um, could be. But overall, you know, it's the 50th anniversary year. This is a great find. <laughs> just 
great timing for it. We're in October right now. The, the 50th anniversary is, is the 23rd of next month, and they have plenty of time to perhaps announce something else if they're holding something back from us. And that's all that I have for right now. Just I'm excited that these episodes are back. And just as, as we've been saying, I posted a screenshot just a while ago of the, 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 top, the top selling uh, seasons. Uh, of shows on iTunes US chart and uh, Enemy of the World is number seven and Love of Fear is number eight. So it's just so neat to see Patrick Chowden era Doctor Who episodes on the top selling list on iTunes. Yeah, and uh, we'll, we'll move on if we may. Yeah, in Australia, uh, Web of Fear is at number five, Enemy of the World six, and in Canada, um, uh, it's um, seven and eight um, in this genre, of course. Uh, let's go to Jeff and then uh, Ian. I think uh, everybody will have had to say we're in one hour in now. We want to get on to Breaking Bad. Don't worry, our caller on the phone. Uh, we will be talking for quite some time on Breaking Bad. We're going to do four seasons of it. Uh, Jeff, that's not in any way to make you be brief, but if you can keep on topic, that'd be great. Okay. Um I'm not going to say a whole lot because I have not actually seen these episodes yet that have been found, but it's really, really exciting that they have found these and they've acquired the rights to them, you know, to to get them back and they've cleaned them up. And um, I'm a big Troughton fan and it's just a shame that so many of his episodes are missing. And uh, I'm just really... uh, really happy to see them back. I'm going to be acquiring them on iTunes shortly. And uh, uh, the one I really want to see is uh, Enemy of the World. Um, I, I don't know why. It, the the story itself just fascinates me. And, and I think Troughton is such a, a fine actor to see him playing two different roles. And from what I'm hearing from the rest of you, he, he plays the, the two roles so well and so different from each other. It's, it's going to be just uh, terrific to, to see him uh, in this story. And um, I'm a big Brigadier fan, so it, it's, it's going to be good to see uh, Lethbridge Stewart back in these lost stories. Uh, I don't know too much about the Yeti. I've not seen many clips from for, for them. So uh, to see the that story is going to be great as well. And uh, despite the little that we've seen of Victoria, uh, I I don't think she was that annoying, um, as Darth has kind of alluded to. Uh, So to see her in even a less annoying uh, role will be be fine. Um, One thing I will say, um, Darth said something about uh, Matt Smith doing a poor job or an amateur job doing dual roles, but you also have to remember in that story, uh, he he was the doctor being taken over by something else, and that something else was taking on characteristics of the doctor. So for Matt Smith to play the role completely different would have been, I think, wrong in that situation, but to each his own. But, uh, yeah, I'm really excited to see these stories. Uh, I want to see them as soon as I can. Uh, like I said, I'm a huge Troughton fan, and uh, these, this is just fabulous news, and I'm hoping 
hoping, um, not going to hold my breath, but I'm hoping there will be more stories to come, more episodes that have been discovered that, that we'll be able to enjoy again. Brilliant. Okay. Ian, did you, do you have any more to say about Dr. Who? Or can we uh, go to Andy for how to join the collective before we go on to our main topic? I think it's, it's, it's time we move on. Like I said, uh, we're going to be um, reviewing these episodes um, uh, in the very, very near future. So uh, there'll be plenty of time, of course, once we've all had a chance to see it uh, or see them uh, for everybody to, um, to, to, to to talk on the stories. I mean, I've, I've only just started watching Any Real World, but I'm looking forward to watching the rest of it. And, uh, and uh, yeah, so you'll be hearing from us in the future about these two stories. It's just really neat. I, I, get, I mean, one one last thing I have to say is I always have um, used this analogy to, to people like it's it's a shame, you know, that we've explored so much of this world um, that there's hardly anything new anymore. Um, but this to me is like discovering another continent or that, that we didn't know about or or you know another species or something. It's like it's this thing that we never thought we'd ever see again because the world's gotten so small that you'd think somebody by now would have come across these if they even existed. But to, you know, to have had a find like this, you know, when, you know, we'd had, uh, uh two of the Cybermen returned and then since then it's just been episodes and stuff like that. And, and so as time goes on, you think it's never going to happen. Um, uh, but for this to happen, um, and we're, we're hopeful that maybe we'll get more, but, uh, Dude, even if just I had these, this is phenomenal, and uh, you know it's neat for, in especially in the 50th anniversary, to have a present like this. What an anniversary present! Okay. So anyway, just uh, one quick thing to add there is uh, um, we haven't mentioned Philip Morris, who's the guy responsible for finding these episodes. Oh, I love yes. you, Philip Morris. Which uh, is the joke that I've made on Twitter is, oh, hey, Cigarette Company found all these episodes. But uh, Philip, the interesting thing about Philip Morris is I found yesterday, somebody leaked to see some old message board posts from about a decade ago where he was talking about going, traveling overseas, specifically to Africa, to finding, to, to look for lost episodes of Doctor Who. He was commenting on, you know, all these old uh, television stations, television relay stations, and, and how they just, how they had old British shows and movies just piled up in, in back rooms just collecting dust. They had tons of stuff. They would, they would probably find Doctor Who there. And uh, I was reading through the thread, and Philip Morris was just shot down time after time. No, you won't find anything there. That's a dumb idea. You won't find Doctor Who there. Well, guess what? The, the, the interesting thing is actually, too, that, that, that not only do we have this, but... Um we've had rumors basically of other things showing up on, on things like iTunes and, 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 um, there's just because they found these, there's, there's other stuff that's been found other, um, you know, collections that are going to be made complete, uh, because of these finds. It's just, this is the high profile thing. This is the, you know, there's been lots of fans who've wanted things like this back. And so, but, um, I think there's been some, um, dad's army episodes returned if I'm not mistaken that have shown up on, on some kind of listing. Somebody had said, oh, hey, look what I saw. But, of course, it's not as high profile. So, um, you know, finding a place like this that has, you know, these episodes means that there's probably other archive stuff that, uh, that the BBC is now getting back that uh, we may show up. So, um, yeah, 
it, it's just great that, that, that there's still an untapped uh, location out there where we're finding stuff. So, hooray! Yeah, it's like anyway. CIA podcast being found on Random Vortex. I mean, yeah, there you go. These gems. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, well, um, I don't know if anybody needs to bow out at this point, but uh, uh, if they do, now's the time to speak before I just play for other people how to join us. So, because um, I do know there's a couple of people, hopefully they'll still stay in, will be uh, spoiling you slightly, but uh, here's how you can join the collective. If you enjoy listening, why not join the collective and participate yourself? Or on TalkShoe, call ID 54821. Call in on 724-444-7444. This is a US number, area code 724, so do check your calling plan before dialing in. If you have a sick client, you can call in for free on 66.212.134.192. Or you can connect in directly via the Shoe phone client if you have TalkShoe Live installed. Looking forward to hearing you. And indeed, uh, Darth is bowing out there. Um, but uh, really great. We've spent uh, one hour and ten minutes almost talking about that. But um, it's time for me to hand over to um, Mike. And I think Ken is going to be giving him uh, a hand there as well. So it's over to you, Mike. All right. Well, here we are. Of course, we're, today we're discussing seasons one through four of the A&C series Breaking Bad, which just recently, within the past month or so, aired its final episode today, Seasons 1 through 4, next Sunday, Season 5, the final episodes. So that's what we're talking about today. Just so, for those who aren't familiar with uh, Breaking Bad, the basic premise of the show, uh, the first episode we meet Walter White, who is a 50-year-old um, high school chemistry teacher. He's uh, rather he's rather uh, overqualified for the position, but that's, uh, what, he had. that's what his job is. Uh, and as the, the the episode starts out, we we see that he's uh, out in an RV cooking cooking meth, and he's uh, he's crashed. And uh, but basically, the premise is uh, the first episode we have Walter White. He's diagnosed with lung cancer, and he's given you know like what half a year or so to live. So the the, the question that he com- that comes to his mind is uh, how is he going to provide for his family after he after he passes? And so his brother-in-law. Uh, Hank Schrader is a DEA agent, Drug Enforcement Agency, and so uh, at Walt's birthday party, uh, Hank is uh, turning on, switching on the news, and the, the news is discussing a meth lab bust that Hank and his crew went on, and all the all the money they confiscated from that. And Hank, uh, Walt is looking at this, and he sees the piles of money, and he asks, uh, other way around, Hank offers to take Walt on on a on a, on a meth lab bust, get some excitement in in, in Walt's life. And so Walt eventually goes and uh, sees and just sees all the money that they that they get from this. It gets an Walt eyeful. Is, yeah. <laughs> oh, that too. Yeah. The censored versus uncensored version of the episode. But the, the basic premise here is he sees the money. He starts doing the sums in his head and starts realizing, wait, that is that's the quickest, easiest way of, of collecting money or earning money for my family. One, you know, he has six months to live or so. So. We have that, and eventually, just I'll play the first clip that I have here. This is from the from the first episode, and uh, Walt tracks down one of his from that meth lab bus. He sees one of his former uh, chemistry students in high school, uh, Jesse Pinkman. He's fleeing from the, from the scene and gets away unnoticed. So 
Walt puts puts things together and realizes, oh, Jesse's involved in this, and uh, perhaps he could Jesse could be Walt's uh, ticket into this to this whole empire, this whole meth making business, and we get this scene right here from the first episode. But you know the business, and I know the chemistry. I'm thinking maybe you and I could partner up. You, uh, you want to cook crystal meth? You. You and, uh, and me. So they team up. They, uh, Walt becomes the cook and Jesse becomes the front man, the, the businessman, the, the one who sells their product, so to speak. And that's how the show goes. That's, uh, it goes on from there. They, they become involved in the meth business and all the criminals and problems therein. And that's all we have. That's how the show starts. Ken, would you like to say anything? Yes. The, the key to Walter, it's, he gets the cancer uh, diagnosis, but it also mirrors something else to him. Why would a man who's a good man, a teacher, a family man, who has a lovely wife and a son and a baby on the way, why would he go into a life of crime? Now, Walter, as we see in the first few scenes, what's in his background? What, what's part of his life? We see a plaque on the wall that said that from work he had done when he was a scientist, um, the research he worked on led to the founding of a Nobel Peace Prize, I mean, Nobel Prize for science. We also see him as a very, I would say, beat-down man. His wife heckles him, although in a friendly manner, but he's heckled. He has to work an extra job at a car wash with the literal boss from hell, maybe the worst human being in the world, a um, gentleman from Romania uh, called Bogdan Wolonitz, who is such a horrible human being that after Walt collapses at work and has to go by ambulance to the hospital, there's no mention from this boss about take it easy, Walt, I care about you, etc. It's stop daydreaming, you have to be tough, why aren't you working? And underneath all these changes of him going into criminality, there's something happening to Walt. He tells his boss off, tells him to go bleep himself and his eyebrows, um, rips, rips apart uh, his counter. There's a very telling confrontation at a clothing store when some young school punks are making fun of uh, Walt's son, who has cerebral palsy. At this moment, they're, they're hearing... Uh, the punks making fun of him. Skyler, uh, Walt's wife, is horribly upset. Walt says, oh, never mind, never mind. 
and leaves out the back entrance. Skyler is about to approach them when Walt storms in from the front entrance, stomps on the leader of, of the punks, keeps smashing him with his leg, and says, you have one shot, you have one shot, are you going to take it? Are you going to wait for your girlfriend? Something is happening to him. This diagnosis of cancer, this awakening of something in himself to go into criminality, and at the end of the episode, after he survives from almost being killed by two drug dealers who try and take over the RV when they're cooking and force them to cook for them. And Walt, by his scientific genius, manages to um, why, uh, knock them out, perhaps kill them by uh, using chemicals. Back at home, when they're in bed together, him and his wife, he's a changed man. In fact, his wife uh, proclaims, oh my God, Walt, is that you? So there are internal changes him going on that is this, like as Vince Gilligan, the creator of the show, says, he says it's Mr. Chips on his road to becoming Scarface. Is it that, or is it Jekyll and Hyde? Is Dr. Jekyll under the service of Walter White all the time? Because as we're going to see... Oh, go ahead. No, that's absolutely a good point, too. Yeah, because as we see in further episodes, this man is broken. This man is almost waiting for something to spark him to some life again. And I'm not going to put it on his wife, but there's a really telling scene after the horrible day at work, both at school, having a horrible students who are just totally bored and he's not the best teacher in the world at this at this point because he is actually so much more than just a high school teacher you know he's he's bored with this um after a student makes fun of him at the car wash and takes pictures of him wiping down a student's car you know um, after after this is happening, we, we, we see this internalization of, every, of everything happening to Walter. So the question is, is, just is this criminal just waiting to escape, or is it a good man gone bad? And that's the question the series, the, the entire series is also the moral question. How far do you go? What are the consequences of immorality? And even the good people go into very, very dark corners. And who are the heroes in the series? And who are the villains, ultimately? Exactly. We have a, we have a comment here from Jimbo Bat 1993 here in chat saying, I feel that Walt always wanted more of life, and Jesse was, was his ticket to do that. Which uh, you know reminds me of what you were, what you were saying there, Ken, is... Walt is his his life has been wasted opportunities, missed 
opportunities, wasted potential. We have in the first episode that the plaque there for Grey Matter Industries, and later in the first season we get an episode where with Gretchen and Ellis, uh, Gretchen with uh, the, with uh, the, the two Elliot, Gretchen and Elliot, Elliot Schwartz, Gretchen and Elliot Schwartz. There, the the two other people with whom Walt worked to start Grey Matter. But uh, Walt was paid off and just you know, given a small sum of money while Gretchen and Elliot took the company and, went and became millionaires. I, I, I have to interrupt on this. This is really telling and really, really important. Walt bought out for 5000 He chose to do this. Was he taken advantage of or did he run away? This is, this is really important and maybe a key to something in his character and why he's maybe the criminal waiting to just come out. He founded Gray Matter Technologies with Elliot Schwartz. He, Gretchen at the time, was his girlfriend. On a weekend, we don't know what ensued, he left her all of a sudden on a visit to her parents. Just left. Broke off the relationship from what I could have uh, gleaned from it, they were engaged. He sold his rights to the company, to Elliot, for $5,000. He sold his rights. But he did not go from gray matter to become a New Mexico school teacher. He worked for a chemical firm, and then right before, when he was with Skyler when she was pregnant with Walt Jr. He worked for Sandia Technologies, which is a subsidiary of Lockheed Munitions uh, Think Tank with high security clearance on their staff. There's a scene in a later episode, a flashback, which shows him the young youngish Walter White, very smartly dressed, who doesn't like the house that they live in now when he sees it. He wants more. He says to his wife, think bigger. We're going to need a study, and you need a place to write. Uh, Lots of bedrooms for kids. A lot of bedrooms for kids, and the world's (laughs) the limit. What happened to Walter? What made him... And there, there's a scene, now you won't see it in the regular series, but it's in the outtakes. I think he's driving a Porsche. And he's in a leather jacket, very, very outgoing. This is not the browbeaten, lost, walking, walking dead man that we see in those early episodes. What caused this? What gave this complacency in his life. Did he settle for just domesticity and just the nature of of raising kids, marriage, etc., just sap this from him? That is an open question. Do we get answers in the entire series? That's for us to discuss. But it's interesting that he was, on one hand, I feel, cheated from his legacy, but there's more to come on the aspect of gray matter than that as we come. Let me get it back to Mike. 
you know, this whole thing that we mentioned here with with Walt and Grey Matter, it's summarized. There's a there's a there's a speech that Walt gives in episode 206 where he's teaching one uh, one day and he's teaching class, and he's mentioning uh, Al, uh, Tracy Hall. And he, he talks about how Tracy Hall is the man who invented the diamond. And uh, he goes on talking about how the Dr. Hall invented the first reproducible process for making synthetic diamonds, and how doc, uh, Dr. Hall was paid up was paid off by GE with a, a ten dollar U.S. savings bond. And even though Walt is teaching this as part of his lesson, you can see that, that he's angered by that. Yeah. And he just he, he just mentioned just sort of walks away from that conversation and mentions a savings bond printed on carbon-based paper paid to a carbon-based man for something he made out of carbon. And it's kind of you know, the, the basic one of the basic things of Walter here is you know he's he with gray matter. It's it's just an echo of that. Yeah. But but the C- question C- being zirconium, isn't it? Yeah. The question being. Did they do it to him, or was he the maker of his own fate? Did he run away, or did they push him away? Well, I mean, I, I do think that, uh, that the actual actor, Baron Cansley, who plays the part, uh, has an awful lot to add to that, because the writers apparently hadn't done uh, a full backstory for him, but um, this actor got so involved in the part, from what I read, um, you know, he came up with a tremendous amount of this backstory. Yeah. Um, so uh, he 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 may get uh, a lot of, or uh, should perhaps get quite a bit of credit for for filling in some of those gaps. Yeah. I don't know whether there's anywhere where you can actually read uh, that CV of Brian, well, of the character. Um, but that that that's uh, something to, that's something to ponder. I I think it's a mixture, but. Not not to go too far ahead, but the early attitude when we do see um, at a party in the first season, um, Elliot Schwartz's birthday party, and Elliot gets wind of Walt's cancer diagnosis, Elliot offers Walt a job, saying, I'd love to have you back mm. at Grey Matter. And also the fallout from that will be to pay for all of his cancer treatment. Now, Elliot's not a fool. He's not just doing this out of pity. There's one thing just paying someone for someone's treatment. But to actually have them back means I want to use him. I need him. He's brilliant. I want Walt back. I'd love him uh, to be on my staff even more so. And Walt shoots it down, his pride, his ego. I don't want his help. I don't want to have anything to do. And he gets a phone call from Gretchen saying, well, the money's half yours anyway. The company was named after you. It's all half yours anyway. So from... Every inclination earlier on in the series, they don't seem to be shunting him, pushing him away, or denying him any credit. It's Walt who is, you know, the hubris and man alone going, no, you're not giving me what 
I feel, I demand, I need, which is a Walt trait. And as the episodes uh, continue, we get right into the moral question. The the true drug, drug dealers who they think they've killed, one is alive. And they trap one in Jesse's basement, uh, known as Crazy Eight, um, who whose name is really Domingo. And his partner, Emilio, the one who died, um, Jesse has the horrible task of having to dispose of the body. And Walt warns him, you need to get a plastic tub. Now, there's something about the series. It is terribly dramatic, full of tension, and utterly hilarious, sometimes in a sick way. Um, We see them disposing, him, um, Jesse disposing of the body in acid. He eventually does it in the bathtub. Well, this acid won't eat through plastic, but it sure will eat through porcelain. And we have a scene where you see a ceiling going drip, 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 and what crashes through? The tub and the remains of poor Emilio all over the floor, bunch of reddish gunk. Blech. Yeah. And it's one of those, if you're in a theater, everybody would kind of jump up and go, oh, my God. Yeah. But it also makes you laugh at the absurdity of it. And Walt is cleaning up the horrendous mess in the beginning of the episode and the bags in the river and we see him flash back to him as a young college student and we see the young Gretchen his girlfriend and they're talking about the compositions of the human body and Jesse is to dispose disposed of the one problem it's up to Walt to take care of the other problem, uh, Crazy Eight, who is trapped in Jesse's basement with a um, bicycle lock around his neck, you know, trapped there like an animal. And Walt makes a list. What do I do? If I let him go, he's going to get revenge. He found out information about who he is, where he works, who his family is, Jesse has a big mouth. Jesse told him. And he's making a list, the right thing to do, the wrong thing to do, weighing the the moral ramifications. And Walt wants to let him go. He starts to learn the backstory from Crazy Eight about his life, who he is. His father owns a um, furniture store in the area, a very famous furniture store. He was going to be a musician. It shows how someone's life can go on one path and then spiral terribly wrong. And Walt wants to believe him, wants to let him go, wants to do the right moral thing. And Walt is bringing his prisoner food, 
down the stairs. And because of the cancer, Walt collapses, the plate breaks, cleans up the plate, throws it away. And the way Walt's brilliant mind works, something isn't right to him. He looks in the trash, picks the plate up, reconstructs it, and a shard knife-like is missing from the plate. And he looks up to heaven, to God, and goes, no, why are you doing this to me? No, please don't do this. He has no choice now. He has no choice. And he goes downstairs. One person is already dead in defending his life. You can maybe give him a pass. Now he's confronting him, saying, okay, I'm going to let you go. And he says, and right when I start to let you go, you're going to pull out that shard and kill me with it? And true to the word, Crazy 8 pulls it out, starts to jab at Walt, jabs in his leg, and Walt chokes him to death with the bicycle uh, lock. And he's on his way. He's on his way. Because in that first episode, when we have the first scene, when things are going horribly wrong, he's making a confession into a camera. My name is Walter Hartnell White, and I love my wife very much. And it's his last and final confession, he thinks. And he's saying to his family, please forgive him. And he thinks this is it for him. And instead, instead of police, there were fire trucks coming. But now two people are dead because of him. And Jesse is forced into it because he blackmailed Jesse because of Walt. No one made Walt make these choices. He chose to do this. Something else telling. He, he's someone who says in his life he never... He always felt that he never made choices. The choices were made for him. Well, this is the genie out of the bottle. Walt is making his choices. Or is it somebody else making these choices? Or, you know, the real Walt inside? Want to go further, Mike, or you want me to keep going through that? Well, one question that I have at this point for yes. everyone, everyone here in the room is, you know... It was brought to mind by what you were just saying. This, this episode right here was uh, the question that I have is what moments early in the series for everyone here made you realize that this was a show you wanted to keep watching? You know, I, I know Ian and Dave started watching this to get ready for today's, this week and next week's topic, yeah. but what moments early in the show made you realize? Oh, made me a, realize? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I came to the show late. I kind of had a resentment. Who was this Brian Cranston guy? I didn't know Malcolm in the Middle from a hole in the wall. And I go, he's the guy that keeps beating John Hamm every year. What is this show? A show about a teacher who's a, who, who's a meth cook? Uh, it doesn't interest me. Oh, please. Okay. Um, I think it was a year or so ago uh, before the beginning of season five, heard from some people flack about how brilliant the show was. 
and I think they were starting some repeats or showing some repeats on AMC. And there was a particular episode uh, with the association song Wendy, with the character Wendy in the beginning. And I thought how witty them using that was such a horrible image and the use of music. And then it involved a sit-down with a character called Gus, played by uh, Giancarlo Esposito. And I was so riveted by the stillness and brilliance and godfather-like quality and menace of his performance and Cranston's quality and the whole thing. I immediately, oh my God, started to go back, got all the episodes, and it was like finding manna from heaven to me. Just It was like the show was made for me, everything that I love, a conglomeration of, you know, Coppola and Sam Peckinpah with Tarantino thrown in with humor and darkness and and the continuity and craftsmanship of it. I don't think I've ever seen a show equal to it in my entire life. I don't want to... I hate using such superlatives, but it just... It gets me on so many levels. It overjoys me and bothers me so much in certain ways because some of these people are just venomous and horrible, and I love them. And there is, it it evokes Dickens and Shakespeare in the quality of the characters and the sweep of it and, and the sheer poetry of the show, of the images and the dialogue, which is, you want to go back, DVR, and go back to a scene just to go, I want to see him say those lines again. I want to see that scene. I want to see that confrontation with with Gus and Walt in, in the desert. You know, I, I want to go learn more about this. And the way the layers of the show just peel off slowly, almost like a master plan, we have a villain that we're introduced to in the first season. Um, the drug dealer, uh, Tuco Salamanca. Remember that name, Salamanca, folks. Very important. And he's insane and bright, and he's like, yeah, booyah, you know, he's just totally crazy. And then we learn about a relation. And, oh, something I have to say, uh, background on something. They give homages to the Godfather and Scarface frequently in this series. Not only that, but they have Mark Margolis, who has an important part in Scarface, in Scarface playing Hector Tio Salamanca, a drug overlord of the Juarez Cartel, and Stephen Bauer, who's also in Scarface, 
who plays Don Eladio later on, who's only in two episodes, but he is remarkable in his performance in that, in the show. So they they have Walt with his family, you know, watching Scarface, and they have an homage and these incredible actors from it in the show. But, uh, you know, that, that's how I got into it, just, just by that happy happenstance of hearing it, and then it just got into my blood, and, ooh, All right. Um, of course, why I brought this question on was, as Ken was uh, mentioning that episode in season one, what really made me think this was going to be a great show was that episode when when Walt was uh, contemplating what, what to do with uh, with Crazy Eight, and he was making the list of reasons he should and or shouldn't kill Crazy Eight. And then when Walt was digging through the trash and found the, the shards of the plate and realized there was that one sliver missing and Walt's First, first kill there, uh, and there in the basement made me realize, wow, this show is, this show is going to be great. I, I cannot wait to see if the, the acting here between, between those two characters. Wow, where could the show go? Dave, what was the moment early in anywhere in Breaking Bad that made you really, really a fan of the show? Well, I have to say this for Ian's sake. Uh, there were a couple of points that caught my interest, but um, no, it was, it was. All the way. I mean, uh, as you say, we we actually did, uh, uh, you introduced it, suggested that Ian and myself watch it, and uh, on the February twenty first, uh, we put up our commentary on Breaking Breaking Bad uh, season one, the pilot. So that's on our uh, our RSS feed. Um, so we were very enthusiastic, and um, I'm trying to remember the actual main part. I think it, I think probably it was the fact that the 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 act in the basement where he kills that man, but not not the actual scene itself, but the fact that even after he'd done it, I was still on his side. And that has been all the way through, uh, and I'm still, you know, on board, as it were, with Walter White. Um, you know, in some scenes you're watching it and you think, well, the DEA ought to get him. You, you feel as though his brother-in-law ought to track him down. Uh, but um, in actual fact, you know, even though he's not, a particularly savoury character and the way he's become. And of course, as we've said, uh, you guys have already said that um, it's this journey uh, from ordinary person to super villain or from good man to bad man. Um, great uh, parallels there that uh, Ken has already brought out. Uh, it's a very much a little bit like uh, when we and Ian, we talked about Jekyll. Uh, I had a similar sort of reaction to watching the first episode of Je- Jekyll because there was just enough revealed for you to to have a an angle on this main character and his family and his predicament, uh, and how would you, as an ordinary person, tackle it? Would you, you know, have reacted? And, and, and remember, as you say, and Ken said, he's always reacting to things going wrong. Uh, you know, it's um, one thing leads to another. I mean, uh, of course, he was a teacher, and uh, I mean, as Ken pointed out, highly qualified teacher, but he's got all this experience. He's got great pride in what he does, but then he's got that humiliation of that second, uh, you know, the second job that gets discovered. Uh, and then his eyes are opened uh, to this other world that's going on. And it, it's almost a sense of pride that, hang on a minute, I, if, I, if I turn my mind to it, I could cook that stuff purely on an intellectual level. Uh, that was where he came in. 
there's lots of other things that, uh, and I'll hand on to somebody else in a minute, but I mean, it uh, reminded me of some other things like um, uh, a film called uh, Falling Down, um, which... Uh, Michael Douglas, whether, right. Michael Douglas, yeah, where, you know, basically somebody snaps, you know, you get to that point where, you know, you either you either roll yourself up into a fetal position and uh, make the world go away, or you you sort of kick the world in the butt and make it pay attention. And this is um, like uh, Ken said about the 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 couple of the throwback scenes. Um, wasn't quite ready for the first one because I didn't realise. We although of course the the pilot episodes opens with something that happened, and then we go back to that. But that theme happens throughout. Um, but basically, as, as Ken was saying from that scene, he's a person that's been a you know, mild-mannered, not reporter, but mild-mannered teacher, always settled for second best. Indeed, this marriage to this woman is his second choice in a way. His real love of his life was taken over, his business was taken over, uh, and really, you know, internally, he sees himself as a, a failure of a man. He has all these qualifications, but he's too meek and mild to actually do it because, and this is the way I think of it, is so intelligent that, you know, he extrapolates that if he takes one action, that it's going to lead to his own death. I mean, that's that's the whole path, isn't it? He has to reach this point where he does something, and of course, it's only when um, he gets this arrangement. They're out in the desert cooking, and and, and Jesse goes to uh, you know to to take a sample to get the drug people thinking that they can control that because really they're 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 uh, angels uh, sorry they're you know very naive and uh, and they don't realize how bad a world they're entering um but um of course then Jesse's driven back to the Winnebago in the car and the situation develops in the very first episode and they're, they're forced you know to um to, well to asphyxiate these people and um so Everything seems to be tumbling incontrollably out of the way. But as we progress, and I won't move any further forward at this point, but as we progress, we realise that this uh, high intelligence he's got, once he pass, he steps over this sort of moral line, and then there seem to be further moral lines, reminded me a little bit of uh, Captain Jonathan Archer in Enterprise, where you know, uh, as the stakes get higher, he has to make more and more difficult judgments and compromise his own ideals and this happens again and again and again with this character but for me the fact that I always am on his side must be in no small part due to the the fine acting by uh, 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 Brian Cranston that he has that you 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 want him to succeed and uh, therefore you approach the the developments that go on and each time you're nudged over the line along with him. There was a point later on uh, where I got to and I'm thinking, should I really be rooting for this guy? But not yet at this particular point. So but, I'll have Dale, and, Dale, uh, yeah. I thing is, I I think it's in a way the Godfather syndrome. It's I know this. I rooted for Walt on one hand. But he lost me in a moral sense at what he does at the end of the second season. I think he's lost, and I want I want him to get some comeuppance. I want him to be punished either by the law 
or God or what have you, because... Yeah. I might be thinking of the same scene if it involves yes, a young lady on the Yeah, bed. we'll talk it later. But Jesse is always a good person. He gets into some bad things, but he doesn't voluntarily, cruelly manipulate people. Walt actually enjoys the power, enjoys, on one sense, manipulating, and on the other hand, there's still that loving father, kind person, and that's the conflict with watching him, because we want that man to succeed. We want a good man to be empowered, just that when, we, when if any of us feel broken down or whatever, that's the key, too. He's he's like a fantasy figure. We all don't do what he does to those students in that store, but we might want to. There's in the episode Cancer Man, uh, that wretched human being uh, whose name is Ken. I hate that he shares my name with the license plate Ken Wins, the the yuppie from hell, who at the end of the episode, Walt takes a squeegee, zaps it in the battery coil, and blows up his car. Oh, it is a wonderfully moment. And we'd love to do that, but we'd never would do that in a million years. Walt, because he is free of all restraint, because of, because of what the, the, the cancer is doing to him and what's inside, he's like, Unbridled, it is. It is like Mr. Hyde has come out, or let's say, as he becomes in the um, last two episodes of season one, he is the Heisenberg that's always been wanting to come out. And Heisenberg. And there's a definite ring of truth on that as well, because I'm sure there are a lot of people that get some sort of what may well be a terminal illness suddenly say that they wouldn't wish it on anybody, but they actually started living from that point. Mm -hmm. And there's something weird. There there was a remark on the Colton page, and it's amusing that he is a supervillain. Well, he puts on his cowl and his cape. There is a manifestation. He needs that hat, and at times those glasses, it's almost, it's the symbol of his badness. Of, of his empowerment. Um, Heisenberg. Well, named, even, yeah. even the choice of his name, of course. Yeah, yeah named after white. a scientist who also had cancer. You know. No, but no, no, but no, he's a white man wearing a black hat. That, uh, right. That's the analogy I would have thought. Yeah, the black hat. But, but, but also another persona. And humorously enough, Heisenberg is known for creating something called the uncertainty principle. To- totally something one could say about Walt's life. Totally uncertain and, and fraught with danger. And at the... He makes this unbelievable play after Jesse gets horribly beaten up by the drug leader Tuco Salamanca, where he goes back and, and he has the drug stolen by Tuco. Walt is this time has has his head shaved because of the cancer and also it kind of embodies his persona. He goes into Tuco's 
lair, so to speak, confronts him, uh, says, you're going to pay me the 35000 uh, plus an extra fifteen for the damage and uh, that you did to my friend, and we're going to have a deal. Tuco's laughing at him, and Walt takes a small package of fulminate of mercury, throws it uh, the other side of the room, and almost blows up the room. And Tuco loves this. He loves he, yeah. that he has guts. He only throws a small part. Yeah, he small part. Package, just, so uh, that's the way he can get out. But I yeah. think, actually, if Mike wants to, it might be a good time to bring Ian in. We've got somebody on the phone, remember, as well. But he, I think that's one of Ian's favorite scenes. Yeah. Question goes to you, uh, Ian. That would probably have to be the moment where I was like, okay, now I have to keep watching <laughs> is, is when he does that. It's like, because especially since they do the whole flashback on that episode, they, they start off with him walking away, and you're like, what the heck just happened? Why is he bald? You know, what's he carrying in his hand? What happened here? You know, and you wait up until the point when he walks in there, you think, what does he think he's doing? He's Walter, you know? Yeah. Um, but one of the earlier uh, things that, that, that kind of got me is the scene that Ken described where um, the kids are in the store teasing um, Walt Jr. And he goes out and he comes back in and he just like snaps that kid's leg and it's like, whoa. And I mean, that's that's the testament to, to how far this man will go for his family. You know, that's the early sign that basically kind of sets the Walter character up of, of how far he will go um, for his family. You know, and Ian, matters to him. did you mm. see how impressed Walt Jr. was and how, dare mm. I say it, aroused Skyler was? Oh, yeah. Look at her man. And that kind of sheepish oh, grin on his face like, yeah, I kicked butt. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Skyler White. Yum. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Especially in season two, three, four. She, uh, yeah, there's a definite uh, sexualization of uh, Skyler as the series progresses. Hello. <laughs> Does a good Marilyn Monroe. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, yeah, yeah, that, um, that, that, no, uh, huh? <laughs> I, I could criticize, no, there's, there's some maybe blame to be laying on Skyler's door for how Walt is, but it's an interesting fact, and Anna Gunn wrote a whole story about it, how there's literal hate for her character, and unfortunately it came back to her as an actress with some death threats, literally, from strange fans, because she's the one who is uncovering what Walt is becoming, having to bear the brunt of his monstrousness, and in the way of some people's warped adulation for Walt. So they see her as the heavy, which is, you know, amusing. Well, well, fun thing about about, about Skylar is the transition she makes and what you find out actually about her, because, uh, I mean, I think actually season one does her a great disservice. It's not until season two, three, that you start seeing, you know, a decent character coming out with her yeah. as far as her manipulation of people. I mean, she is 
uh, if anything, um, every bit the equal of of Heisenberg, oh. but in a, on a whole different different level, level and her, and much culpability her, on her own. Yeah, part. her ability to manipulate a situation is just phenomenal, and the way that Anna Gunn portrays it is just amazing. Yeah, it's like, I didn't really like her all that much in the beginning because I thought she was kind of wishy washy and like uh, you know alternative medicine and and like oh, a, well, a bit of he- a bit of henpecking and. Yeah, and and, and there's something really kind of... something could be said. It's a funny scene, and we won't go into it, being the family podcast. But when she's looking at eBay and giving Walt a birthday present, quote unquote, <laughs> that might say something about their physical relationship. Mm. Pretty dead. Yeah. If, if that's like well, that's your birthday present, it's probably null and void, maybe most of the time. And I'm sure it wasn't like that in the beginning, because she was a very lovely woman, and you know she's very witty, and becomes so later. But yeah, the the, the first season, Skyler, you you could see her poke, 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 poke. Oh, it's it's something I didn't mention that it it bugged the heck out of me, and it was about her character that after a terrible day at work, and school and the car wash, what is the first thing out of her mouth? You spent $13 on the credit card to buy a ream of paper that you shouldn't have done. And my jaw dropped. It's like, that's not, hi, honey, how are you? That's the first thing you've been, you've been waiting for that. And that kind of says something about Walt's hearing that probably a lot. And it's like... Best adult scenes I've ever seen on TV with um, when they're at the, the the school meeting. Oh, incredible! And, and there's yeah. the two of them are sitting together, and the sexual tension in there, and then it's just fantastic. I, I just like the way it, how it handles like so many different kind of aspects. Yeah. We get the comedy, we get the absolute drama, <clears throat> we get the. I mean, at times it, it verges in a little bit on the the, the fantasy. But yeah. that, that's excusable and it's fine. And you're like, who cares? And the storytelling style that they'll have a cliffhanger and then we'll come back to the next episode. The cliffhanger's at the beginning often. <laughs> yeah. we, well, no, and we'll have a, we'll have a fat flash forward or a flashback to something commenting on something else. And it'll be like slapping us in the face going, oh, okay. You know, but the 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 first season ends with a successful drug deal with Tuco mm-hmm. in a um, garbage yard or a junkyard. So, excuse me, and we think it's successful. Until one of Tuco's aides just says arbitrarily to Walt and Jesse, and you know who you're working for, and Tuco goes insanely ballistic and goes, they don't know who they're working for? What, are they stupid? Or you mean I'm stupid? And he beats him so severely we don't know if he's alive or dead. And Tuco drives away, and that's the way the season ends. 
an interesting fact about the brilliance of Aaron Paul and Jesse Pinkman. He was going to be killed originally. That was the plan the first season. Oh, wow. And his acting was so amazing that they said, let's change our mind. Let's change the direction. His transitioning over the series is, I'm I, I really looking forward because those of you who don't know, Dave and I, the only reason, one of the main reasons why we're only going to season four is because that's where Dave and I are at. Um, yes, it's all about us. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, we can't wait to be finished. I'm actually into, uh, we've already, Megan and I have already started season five. My my wife is on board with us as well. She's um, she's joined the ride. Um it originally started just because Dave and I were going to do commentary with Mike. And I said, well, do you want to watch this with me? And so she did. And uh, and then and then we actually put it on ice for a while. We didn't watch any more. And then we kind of picked it up again when we kind of talked about doing this. And uh, it's been full on since then. We've been watching. Uh, my wife's been doing a um, doing some theater at the moment. So she doesn't get home till nine. And we cram in two episodes every night. Um Mainly because we were trying to get it caught up for here, and also because we wanted to watch two episodes a night. <laughs> you know, it's 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 uh, an interesting thing that it's this show has actually taken off even more now that it's over. Normally, you get to an end of a show, and you know, kind of peters off. But if you look at iTunes, the word is going out even more now that it's done because you find, I think, when a show has a a definite end when it's something as good as this that it's a lot easier to get people interested in it because you can say you know it doesn't matter if you weren't into it now then you can get into it now because it's done now and you know it gives that that finite thing rather than like well you know oh you should watch it yeah 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 well it's still going and you know I don't know you know it's too late to get caught up to it now but now that you know that, you know, it, it, it just makes it easier. And, of course, the, the digital age, too. It's like we stream the whole damn thing through Netflix, you know. And, of course, it's available through iTunes. You can just instantly get it. So, yeah. Anyway. And also going on from what you were saying there, Ian, about the uh, the viewers, I'm looking at the at the viewer ratings for the show per season. Uh, the first season that I have data for, for the season season three finale had 1.56 million viewers season four finale had 1.9 million viewers the season five part one finale had 2.78 million viewers but the final episode of the of the episode aired which aired several weeks ago 10.10.28 million wow. viewers so it jumped a lot there for, between the first and last half of season five so yeah, well, Lord, yeah last half of season five went up exponentially. I mean, oh, it did. It went yeah. from two point seven eight to five point nine two million for the season two, five part two premiere, and just hovered around there and jumped there at the finale. Part of that, I think, again, was in part to things like Netflix and Hulu that um, started kind of rushing these onto the streaming format, um, which enabled people to very easily jump on the bandwagon and that's why you I think you have the, the huge ratings at the end is because you know as it gathered momentum and I thought it was brilliant breaking up I don't even know if you want to call it series 5 it's really series 5 and 6 because 
they weren't done with it, you know, when they did the first half. But whatever you want to call it, it was it was nice anticipating the whole thing and especially how, you know, they 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 always have a great cliffhanger at the and usually at the end of uh, the series. Executive producer Vince Gilligan. Yeah. <laughs> but just one clip that I want Those to play here. Those horrible words we'll at the end through. of an episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, more. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> but just one one clip I want to play really quickly here. It's, it, it, we mentioned how this show ties so many things together and just keeps building on themes. Uh, one theme that we have recurring throughout this season, throughout this whole entire show, is the idea of change, of transformation, and it goes all the way back to what the very first episode when Walt was is teaching a, a lesson to his chemistry students, and we have this scene right here. Chemistry is well, technically, chemistry is the study of matter, but I prefer to see it as the study of change. Now just just think about this. Electrons. They change their energy levels. Molecules. Molecules change their bonds. Elements. They combine and change into compounds. Well that's that's all of life, right? I mean, it's just it's the constant, it's the cycle, it's solution. This solution just over and over and over. It is growth, then decay, then transformation. Right, there we go. The whole transformation there. Chemical change. Walter into Heisenberg. The the, the uncertainty principle with Heisenberg. The observer effect. Uh, we get the eye. That, that eye from the doll in season two. And that Walt is fascinated with in several scenes. And eventually it rolls out of the bed and you lose the side of it. It's all of these ideas that recur throughout the show. And if you want to bring in our caller there from uh, uh, our caller here, we haven't even asked them. I know early in the show they were excited to talk about this. Uh, you know, like what the same question goes to them. What moment was it in Breaking Bad that you that you you, you saw this and you realized this is I, I should keep watching this. This isn't this is not a show I should I should give up on. What happens? What moment hey, was uh, that for you? Yeah, could you just remind us of your first name? And I'm sorry you've had a, a long wait, but um, you have the floor now. Hi, I'm uh, Jason from Pennsburg, Pennsylvania. Um, I started watching Breaking Bad, I think, just uh, started around the fifth season. Then I went back and watched the show because all my friends told me that it was a very good show. Like, you, like you would, like, be, like, it was just rock your world and stuff. I found it in, uh, intriguing. And did you get hooked straight away? What? Did you get hooked from watching the very first pilot episode? Yes, I did. Uh, like, I was writing the chat. I think that this show, Breaking Bad, is like... It's technically Walter Wright's supervillain origin. Like, it's like him being Lex Luthor, in a way. All right, so you're Jim, you're Jimbo back in the text chat. Yeah. Oh, well done, thank you. Great. Yeah. And 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 what about the analysis that some of the guys have already said? 
do you do you feel well i think you made the comments about the super villain thing but um I mean, are you on board with this guy? Are you are you finding are you finding some of the scenes very strong to stomach? Are you surprised that they've they've gone in certain directions? Yeah, well, Vince Gill can. I think he's like a uh, he he is a very uh, good. He he can really tell a story. I feel he's like uh, the American version of Stephen uh, Moffat, the guy that ah. makes Sherlock. So he can really. Uh, Crass, a awesome story, and he can go places where I wouldn't imagine it go. Like, uh, I really don't want to spoil anything because, like, uh, the part with uh, the chemistry where in the first episode he thought he'd teach him, and he just throws that stuff like in the chemist that makes the fire and the bodies go, and he just uh, dries and stuff. Yeah, there's lots of good scenes. One of the things I like about it, he still retains that teacher's character. I mean, when he when he sends the young lad to get his equipment, and he says, and uh, mm-hmm. he says, what do you call this? You know, is it, it's a is it a 500 milliliter boiler? Well, no, it isn't. It's got a flat. You must use the right beaker. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, and 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 what, I'll tell you one other thing um, that I liked about this, Jason, is the the fact that even now, up to series four, as I've watched. He still calls him Mr. White. Yeah. Um, I still think one of my... The best powerful scene that I remember from the first episode was the part when Walter goes up to him and gives him two choices that he either work with him to cook or he'll turn him into the cops. And I think that part was really powerful. Right. Yes, there's been a a definite uh, change in in power structures between the two, when when each of them have had a hold over the other, haven't they? Yeah. And I still think that, I have a theory that this all starts because of Hank, because when he shows him the bust I did on the TV, and you could see the uh, amazement in Walter's eyes when, like the part when he asks him how much money did, did, did you say that they busted and stuff. And he was amazed. And uh, the other good part was the part where uh, he wanted, where Walter wanted to ask Hank if he could go into the lab, and Hank looked a little uh, confused that he wanted to go into inside the meth lab they bust. Right. Now um, I'm just going to go back to Mike a moment. Mike, um, we've we've spent all that time virtually on first season. Is it time to move on to? to I mean, I don't know how you want to. I mean. Uh, I'm assuming oh, that uh, yeah, we can move on to I'm assuming now. that Jeff's okay not to go. He's here to listen and he doesn't mind being spoiled. But he already said. I think we should do season that, two. Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, I'm finding it a little bit of diff- difficult to differentiate between what happened in season one and season two. But one thing I do remember that was great is season two opened exactly in the very same place as season one ended, and I'll go back to you on that. No, season one ended there in the in the junkyard there with Tuco and his henchmen and started up at at the same place just after that. And uh yeah, well of course season one was only seven episodes, so it was the as first seasons of shows go, was generally the shortest. Uh but here we are with a you know, a longer season and uh Ken, you were you were doing a, a quite a good job there of summarizing. Okay. Well interesting thing I'll I'll say first storytelling technique on this show is is amazing and changes all the time we we have 
flash forwards, flashbacks. Sometimes we're not sure where we are in the series. And we, we get a sense of Greek tragedy from it. I wouldn't call them just coincidences, but it's like an interlocking of characters for this unified purpose. And this this comes to bear with series two. And with series two, we do go back to the junkyard, but after the teaser, which is in black and white, and except for something floating in a pool, and we're not sure what this is, and it turns, and it's a teddy bear with half of it burnt off, and missing its eye, which we see floating independently in the pool. And this motif is repeated three more times this season. And there's a funny thing to it. We'll get to it later on about that. Uh, but it, we go back to the junkyard, uh, Walt and Jesse counting the money, uh, calculating how much they're going to need. And then as they're leaving, oh my God, it's Tuco blocking them. Gets out of the car, carries the body of his henchmen, throws them on the ground and says, okay, you're so smart, make him better. And his his henchmen who's hemorrhaging, he's dying. There's reddish foam coming out of his mouth. And Tuco says, uh, give him mouth to mouth or something. And he's screaming at them. Uh, henchman's dying. He dies. And Tuco looks at them both in rage and goes, well, we're out of here. We're done. And Jesse uh, doesn't like the way that sounds. He goes, Mr. White, you know, we're done. We're done. We're done. Yo, we're going to get killed. We're out of here. Yeah. And they're terrified that Tuco is going to come after them and kill them. So Walt decides on the plan. There is a chemical from a bean called ricin. And uh, Jesse makes a little joke. You mean ricin beans? He goes, no, ricin beans, Jesse. And they make this concoction very slowly. It's Walt's amazement of chemistry, saying we're going to use this to kill Tuco. Because... Uh, in a regular fight or a gunfight, they have no chance. But this way, they slip it in some food or a drink. That way, they'll they'll be able to have have a chance with him. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Hank and his wife Marie are are having problems um, with her kleptomania because earlier on in the first season. Um, Skyler is is having a little baby shower, and Marie gives a, a, a wonderful little tiara uh, for the for the young coming baby, 
And, well, we find out that Skyler has a problem with stealing things. Hank knows about this. She's had therapy. And uh, Skyler almost gets arrested because of this. And rounding terror over Tuco continues over the episode. Walt gets terribly paranoid. He sees an SUV parked across the street and then leaving mysteriously, and he thinks that's it for him. And all of a sudden, he gets a call from Jesse. Oh, excuse me, I'm going uh, wrong here. Um, Hank calls Walt. He is at the junkyard, and they find the associate and his friend of uh, Tuco's both dead. And Walt gets the terrifying feeling, oh God, he's come for them, they're coming for us. He gets a call from Jesse, says, I'm coming over. He goes outside, sees Jesse in his car, and who is in the back but Tuco, who kidnaps Jesse and Walt. We then go to the next episode where uh, Walt has been kidnapped and Jesse, and they're holding uh, both of them prisoner uh, in a desert shack where he usually hides out. And we get to meet his, his sick uncle, Hector Tio Salamanca, who's very important to the whole storyline. And thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you, Hector. Skyler, meantime, is terribly worried about Walt, putting handbills all over the place about have you seen him, you know, her, hus- her husband being missing. And Tuco's plan is that Walt is now going to work for him all the time. He grabs him, stares him like eye to eye, and goes, Can I trust you? And Walt goes, Yes, you can. You know, okay, you know, anything you want. And they have the ricin on them in powdered form, um, like it's meth. And Jesse goes, Well, why don't you try this? This is a new new type we've started, and you'll get a better kick out of it. And he goes, no, I don't like the way it smells. And he goes, oh, we have a great additive of this. It's chili powder, which is something Jesse, when he was Captain Cook, he always added to his, his meth. He added chili powder. Well, it so happens Tuco hates chili powder, so that's not good news. Um, instead, he uses some meth himself. He gets all hopped up, and he wants to immediately kill Jesse. Walt calms him down. Walt calms him down, and the plan is to take Walt and Jesse over the border to permanently cook in uh, Mexico for him, for the cartel, the Juarez drug cartel. Now, he's saying, I have a family. He goes, oh, you have to forget that. He looks at Walt's ID and goes, oh, I love dealing with a family, man. There's always collateral. So Tuco starts chopping up meat to make lunch for his uncle and for his guests. He wants to feed them. And Jesse and Walter are going, we've got to do something. We've got to put it in his food. And 
Hector is sitting there seeming totally oblivious. He, he doesn't seem to move that much, uh, no real indication. The only way that, that Hector can communicate is with a service bell attached to his wheelchair. Um, one ding for yes, two for no, sounding, sounding like Star Trek. And danger will be several rings when, when he's agitated. Yes. And eventually they put the ricin when uh, Tuco was turned around into his burrito. Hector starts dinging his bell like mad. Hector laughs. Oh, you greedy old man. You want the biggest share. Gives him his burrito. The one that Hector knows has the poison in it. He saw Walt and Jesse do this. Um, Hector becomes agitated, knocks the food off the table. Tuco becomes enraged, said, well, there's not going to be uh, anything for you then. You just you just sit there. Hector then uses all the strength he can because this has taken everything out of him and is pointing at at Walt and Jesse, as if they did something. Uh, Tuco decides they, they, they tried to kill me. They tried to do it. He got the information out of Walt and Jesse. Walt says, you're crazy, insane, so-and-so, and they're going to take them outside and kill them. Walt and Jesse managed to get the gun from Tuco. They shoot him and escape. Now, Hank has been looking for Jesse because there was some information before that Walt was using Jesse to be his marijuana dealer. So Hank knows that he can use the low jack in Jesse's car because he has a record. He traces them to this location. Tuco sees Hank coming, gets in a shootout with him, he confronts the wounded Tuco. They have a firefight, and Hank shoots Tuco dead. Walt and Jesse run away. We get the start of the next episode. They get home, and they have to do to make up for a reason. Where have they been? What's Walt going to do? So Walt goes to a supermarket. He takes off all his clothes. And he walks around the aisles naked. He's taken away, hospitalized, and he makes the claim that he had no memory, that he was in a so-called fugue state for those days, and he has no recollection of what's happened. Jesse returns home, cleans out his basement, gets rid of the RV. The DEA is after him, and he says that he was shacked up with... uh, the prostitute, we first met uh, a drug-addled prostitute called Wendy, who we meet for the first time in this episode. They don't believe Jesse, so they bring in Tuco, who they now have in custody, uh, to identify Jesse. Tuco, being an old-time uh, cartel man, there's a bond of loyalty 
You never speak to the authorities. That's death. So he looks at them like he gives them no information, and he defecates right there in the offices, and they take him away. You know, that's the greatest insult he could give to them. You don't talk to the DEA. They're scum to a man like him. So, next episode begins, and it's called Down. And it begins again with a shot of the pink teddy bear being scooped out. It looks like hazmat workers. And we see body bags, and it's being scooped out. We, we now see it seems to be Walter's pool. And the scene is still shot in black and white, all desaturated, and the only color is of the uh, teddy bear um, with the half face. We um, meet Jesse's parents. He sneaks in, goes back home uh, to find Jesse. They uh, know he's uh, using drugs. And, oh, we, we met Jesse's brother in the first season, a young man, an overachiever, and they each have a different idea. The, the, the young son thinks that the parents always love Jesse more, and Jesse thinks that the parents love him more. And the interesting thing is a maid finds a marijuana cigarette in a plant. They obviously think it's Jesse's, get terribly angry, and they throw him out. It so happens it's the son, and Jesse doesn't say anything. He covers for him. So he gives that gift, in a way, to his brother, and his brother isn't so squeaky clean as he makes uh, make, makes out to be. Yeah. Mike? Yeah. What was that, Dave? Yeah, I was just wondering whether... You want to bring people in to comment on so far, rather? I mean, uh, there yes, are too many episodes in the series to cover oh, yeah, one. Oh, yeah, yeah, Of course, yeah, the, as Ken has been saying, the plot for the season. And uh, as I'm uh, um, just reading um, what Jimbo was saying here in chat, busy for the rest of the day, and say my name, Dave Cooper. <laughs> well done, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can come again. <laughs> <laughs> Always welcome here. But yeah, that's it. as we mentioned here, uh, season one had seven episodes. Uh, season two had 13 episodes. Season uh, th- season two, two, three, and four actually each had 13 episodes in the final season, or two, however you want to count it, eight or 16 episodes, however. Um, but yeah, uh, just um, any comments on, th- on season two from anyone in the room? Uh, Dave? Well, I think it's that great. Uh, well, I think it's that great. Uh, I, 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 I was Try not to cut you short there, Ken, but I, I, I can't think we can take a description of every episode. Okay. Otherwise, we're going to be here for five five hours, I think. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that was there was the thing is that all these little stories, these little side things, like him going back to see his parents, Jesse going back to see his parents. You think it's almost like in some some stories you watch, you think, well, this is just a bit of filler. This, you know, uh, they're just doing a bit of filler. But uh, many of the things. Uh, that that happen like this are actually seeds for very important 
and pivotal plot roles that happen, and not only pivotal plot roles, but they're actually driving forces. They're driving the characters forward. Um, but we also see the insight there that Jesse, even though he's a, you know, at this point a fairly mixed up kid, he's he's really in it for the adventure and the drugs, and he doesn't really know. Uh, although he's had a couple of scares now, obviously, uh, but he still has that. He still wants the approval of his parents. His mother's a right witch of a woman, I thought. Um, mm-hmm. And then you've got the the fact that the um, well, perhaps perhaps you could argue that his younger brother is as devious as that because he's realised that you know his mother's such a uh, you know a, an old codger that he's got to keep it. But the fact that Jesse, as you said quite rightly, covers for him. Uh, gives us a lot of sympathy for Jesse, and of course Je- Jesse is a victim on many episodes throughout this, and um, uh, he he's really the puppet of the whole series. He's the one that doesn't know who to believe, and he's swayed quite easily, both as we find out later by Walter for for good and strong reasons, but other times for you know other people's machinations, but. Um, yeah, oh, I, just one quick like comment there on the on Jesse and his brother is the way Jesse's brother is introduced. He's he seems to be this this kid who's an overachiever, who's a, a genius, and this goody two shoes character is trying. It was, he, he seems to be a good kid, but there at the end of uh, that, that one episode when we have the marriage the marijuana joint introduced, uh, it turns out that Jesse you know claims it as as his own, but as we find out there at the end, it was it was his brother's. And uh, Jesse ends up, uh, you know, crushing it into the ground with his foot, and tells him it was, it was that was bad, bad weed anyway. But yeah, it's, so his brother isn't as good as he seems. I'll continue more peripheral in a way, not by episode and something. We, we now have with Tuco out of the way, Walt and Jesse need to sell the meth on their own, and he needs to establish so-called the legend of Heisenberg. So Jesse uses his friends, Combo, Skinny Pete, and Badger, to be his sales force, you know, out in the street. And Skinny Pete gets robbed by this terrible couple of, of meth dealers. And Walt goes, you need to use force. You need to take care of it. This shows the horror and intensity, he's now acting in a way like Tuco. You, you need, he needs Jesse to be his enforcer now to use the threat or even violence against someone that's stolen from them. So Jesse goes to sneak in on this terrible couple who we see has, has an adorable little boy who's misused and in the ensuing uh, events, the um, husband, or um, whatever he is to her, um, insults her, calls her a skank, several times. She gets angry, and the money is in an ATM, and she tips over the ATM that he's under working on, and it crushes his head. So out of this, Jesse gets a rep that this is how badass he is on the street. So people are paying up now nicely. And uh, Walt loves this. When he goes around to uh, see Jesse's friends, 
he wears the Heisenberg hat and glasses. You know, now it's a full alter ego identity for him. You know that there's Walt White and there's Heisenberg. Um, you know, this continues. We then uh, his fame is going so well that in an episode they have the beginning with a narco corrido band, which is a sense of Mexican music that sings about the cartels, uh, a song called Negro y Azul, Black and Blue. It's the ballad of Heisenberg. So he's getting his own music video, and they actually do the music video in the, in the show, which is, which is amazing. Um, Skyler is fed up with Walt's deviousness, fed up with what's happening in his life, and, in her life, and she decides to get a job and goes back to her old employer, Ted Beneke, who used to be a bit too chummy and hands-on and made passes at her in the past, and Walt knows about this. And, you know, they're having problems, Walt continuing, because Badger gets arrested. Uh, he's arrested by the Albuquerque police. So we're introduced to a man who advertises frequently on the TV in Albuquerque. Better call Saul. Saul Goodman. Notorious, apparently shyster lawyer. But he, I think that is a cover. Uh, like they say, hiding in plain sight. He's an extremely smart man with connections. If you need something, he knows a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy. And, and well, what was his catchphrase? Better call Saul. Better call Saul. <laughs> yep. And they make a deal so that a man who is out of prison, who actually likes the prison life, will take the fall to be a.k.a. Heisenberg. It'll cost them, I think, $10,000 and a big bag of meth. But they do that service, and uh, Saul ingratiates himself so much that he actually meets Walt at his school, and Walt is, is, is terrified by this. You know, don't bring this into my life here. But he offers uh, his services for a percentage and a cut of the profit. Um, Walt's 17%. condition... Oh, go ahead, Dan. 17%. <laughs> oh, and just speaking of the, the classroom there, just one thing that another thing I love about the show is the, the, the colors they use and the set design. What color is prevalent in Walt's classroom? Blue. Mm-hmm. It's on the floor. It's prevalent in that, in that classroom's coloring. And, and on, on the behind-the-scenes shows, Vince Gilligan says that you know, the, the colors they choose for things, it's no accident. The set design, and Michael Slovis, who does the cinematography, he is utterly brilliant. The, the look of the show, the color palette, which really does some amazing things starting with season three. You'll get differences between uh, Albuquerque and the shots they have in Mexico. And these, these brilliant shots of uh, the New Mexican sky and the land New Mexico itself is almost a, another character in this show. 
the way it's used. Um, it, it's tremendous. Um, Walt's condition seems to be worsening a bit. They make an excuse to uh, do a do a binge cook, and he uses an excuse of uh, you know visiting his his mother. He lies again to Skyler. Uh, they go in the desert, and the RV shuts down. They leave the battery on, and they're stuck in in the desert for four days. <laughs> and it's a great character episode. And Walt almost gives the information, you know, um, everything that's going on in his life. It's it's, it's really terrifying. It's it's an amazing episode. Oh, and in a moment of here of how the show blends serious drama with comedy. We have this in that, that same episode where they're stranded in the desert. As they're trying to rebuild the RV and get it, and get it working, we have this uh, quick scene here between Walt and Jesse. What shall we use to conduct this beautiful current with? Hmm? What one particular element comes to mind? Hmm? Hmm? Uh, I... Yeah, copper. <laughs> Wire. <laughs> oh. Even worse is the scene where um, the, the generator gets on fire and Jesse doesn't think, does he? His solution is to, they're in the middle of the desert and he goes and gets the only water they've got. Uh-huh. Chucks, chucks the <laughs> Where, where of course, at the same moment, Walter's gone to get the fire extinguisher, which was a clever thing to do. Now, it, Walt, luckily, after this, gets some good news about his condition, that it's in remission. Um, but he's still feeling kind of unhappy filled with strange anger about what's going on and everything. Uh, Skyler throws a party to celebrate the good news, invites all their friends over, and Walt has lied that he's been getting the money from Gretchen and Elliot Schwartz to pay for his condition. And at at the party, um, Skyler goes, Let's celebrate the heroes of our lives, Gretchen Elliott and Walt's grumbling. And they're outside, and it's Hank, Walt, and Walt Jr., and they're drinking tequila. And they pass the bottle around, and Walt pours a little for his son. Walt Jr. downs it. They pass the bottle around again, and... Walt pours again. Hank goes, what are you, father of the year? And he's a little troubled. And this continues again. Hank puts his hand over the cup like, whoa, whoa, uh, stop now. Walt keeps pouring. Pours it over Hank's hand. What ensues is terrifying at what is coming out of the Walt, this horrible, strange rage where Hank takes the bottle away and Walt screams at him, my house, my bottle, bring it back. And this is how his voice gets when he 
kind of manifests this Heisenberg darkness, he basically almost almost comes to blows with Hank about this. And meanwhile, Walt Jr. collapses and vomits into the pool. So uh, that, that party kind of doesn't end too well. Uh, Jesse, at the time, has met a woman. He, his landlady at his new apartment, because he was kicked out of his place by his parents, where he, uh, his place that he had from his aunt. And um, we get to meet her father, uh, David Margolis, played by Q himself. And remarkable. Yeah, that right there, the, the, the casting there, that's one thing that Kobo wanted me to mention. Is that not only did we have John DeLancey guest, playing a guest character on this show, we also had another actor that uh, Kobo really wanted me to mention, Danny Trejo, playing Tortuga, yes. one of the uh, cartel members there yes. in Mexico, and uh, who came to a rather grisly fate, shall we say. Yes. Yes, he has his head on a turtle named after him crawling uh, across the desert. And um, as it continues in this in the season, Jesse's relationship with Jane strengthens. And unfortunately, she is an ex-addict, an ex-heroin addict. And she introduces Jesse to heroin. And so they're sharing this madness together. Meanwhile, her father, John Delancey, brilliant in, in this part, tries to get her uh, to go to rehab, threatens her, threatens her with this. The only thing is, uh, Walt... Oh, go ahead, Dave. I was going to say, uh, sorry to interrupt, but uh, I think the, the casting of John Delancey was fantastic here because the obvious conclusion that, well, perhaps too simplistic conclusion I came to, was that, oh, it's going to turn out that he's the, 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 the big man behind the, uh, you know, the, the, the drugs in the US side, you know, because yeah. you know, why else would you cast such a big actor? He's obviously going to be the major big bad, uh, which, of course, is... Although he does play a key role for other reasons, is a, a, a great misdirection in a way, isn't it? Yes, and he's wonderfully great sense of sadness and and caring to him the way he plays the role. It's wonderful. But uh, um, Jesse and Walter are having problems in their distribution because people are now realizing that well, Jesse is not so bad as they think. And they're not selling enough. They need something better. So they go to Saul, and he says, I know someone, somebody who's kind of like you, Walt. He's very low-key, uh, very big player, and uh, go see him. So he's slated to meet this person at the fast food chicken uh, chain Las Pollos Hermanos, the Chicken Brothers. And he goes all day. Jesse is late and uh, drugged. And um, 
They never meet with anyone. Walt goes the day after and sits all day, and he sees a very soft-spoken, gentle uh, man, dark skin, wearing wire-rimmed glasses, um, behind the counter, and he goes up to him, and the man's very friendly. He says, could I have five minutes of your time? And he goes, oh, may I help you? And he goes, I need to speak to you. He says, any complaints, you can call our hotline. He goes, no, I need to speak to you. Um, I think you're the man I need to speak to. Now, one thing I want to mention here is that one thing, just another visual cinematography thing they do is the use of reflections throughout this series, uh, mirrors and things like that. Where we first actually see Gus, we see uh, kind of from Walt's perspective, Walt is looking out a window and we see a reflection of Walt's face in the mirror and we see Gus standing in the background sort of a, the mirror image of, of Walt, this double life that he's, le- that he's, that he's living here. And that's how we first see Gus, our, yes. our reflection there. And just another symbol that we see there, this, the logo for Los Pollos Hermanos has the two chickens. One is sort of in formal business attire. The other is in sort of a party outfit. You know, the, the, the duality, duality of Walter White and Heisenberg. And he eventually, this man's, in an instant, his persona changes from smiling, totally cold and businesslike, and goes, your partner is a junkie. You're sloppy. We are not alike, Mr. White. I don't deal with junkies. I, I screen everyone I do business with. And Walt says, you, but you'll want my product. It's so good. I said, I have other considerations. And the meeting ends with saying he'll keep in touch. So, Jane and Jesse's relationship gets very heavy. Jane wants the money that Walt has from the drug deals that he is keeping from Jesse, because knowing now that he is on heroin, he's not trusting him. He's safekeeping it uh, uh, for him. Jane threatens Walt. She knows who he is, know where he lives, and she says, I will burn you. I will destroy you. You give him what he's supposed to have. I go, I know everything about you. So... Walt is despondent, doesn't know what to do. He he tries to talk to Jesse, who won't talk to him. So he goes to a bar. He's supposed to be picking up diapers for Skylar, and who and he's lied to her again. And he's taking drinks, and who is sitting at the bar? Jane's father. It's a bit of Greek tragedy symmetry. He's there and they have a discussion about children, about not giving up on them, about always caring about them, giving them another chance. And the eventuality of this spurs Walt to go to Jesse's again. He's not 
answering the door. He finds his way inside, and he sees Jane and him asleep. He tries to wake Jesse up to no avail. Jane shifts her position on the bed and starts choking. And when you're on drugs, you have that danger of choking in your sleep, vomiting and, and, and killing yourself by, by choking on it. She starts to choke. Walt can do something. Walt can move her. Walt can help her. Walt is about to help her. Then he stops. A million things are going through his mind about why he does this. Her threat, uh, that Jesse who he has control, Jesse the surrogate son, uh, Jesse the partner who is being taken away from me. So many myriad reasons. And the Heisenberg part uh, stays with him. And he lets her die. And he lets her die. Yeah, very powerful scene. I mean, in actual fact, he he causes it, and he doesn't do delivery. He as he shakes Jesse, that's what makes that's her what roll. That's what her position. He yeah. does it. To her. And I think, as you say, the actor is marvelous there because the inner turmoil that he's doing—that he's not actually killing her; he's just not intervening. That's why he's, he's, he's weeping, it. and yet he's allowing and yeah, knowing but, exactly uh, what he's doing. And now, earlier on, when you said about, you know, I've always, uh, when I said about similar, this was that scene, I think you mentioned it. That was the moment. That was the the moment he lost me in saying, I like him. I I revel in his Heisenbergness, but his soul was lost here. This is, this is the moment. This is when he's going to hell. Right, right here and there. And, and, like Chekhov's gun, everything in the series is there for a reason. In a previous episode, she positions Jesse, mentions that, puts a pillow under him, that's so you won't choke. So we have it almost set up to give us knowledge about that this can happen, you know, to a user. And something I, I glossed over and about Walt and Schuyler's relationship, how bad and terrible uh, uh, things have gone. Um, He missed his little girl, Holly's birth, doing the drug deal with Gus. That's what happens. He he finally uh, is uh, successful. He gets uh, the drug deal with Gus. Jesse... That's why he's uh, asleep with Jane. Walt breaks in, gets the meth from under the sink, does the uh, drug deal himself that Jesse could have done. He missed his uh, daughter's birth. And Ted Beneke, the grasping and wolf-like boss, he's the one who took Skyler to the hospital. He's the one who was with Skyler at the birth of Walt's daughter. So that's another great loss and another big yeah. black mark against him with Skyler. Another couple of things as well is that, um, of course, um, Walter White talks with the girl's father in the bar, and they're talking about, you know, he's got a girl and he's got a girl, and yeah. the older man, of course, is saying, you know, you're always looking after them, you're always worried. And he gives him this advice that, you know, 
uh, yeah. family is all that matters and so on. But the other thing about that, <coughs> excuse me, is the fact that when he does take all those drugs from Jesse's house, he never thinks to tell Jesse, because poor Jesse, when he wakes up, he thinks he's going absolutely frantic, because he thinks he's lost, and he thinks, what's what's Mr. White going to think of me? I yeah. can't even look after the drugs. <laughs> you know and he mean? tried calling him and calling him and yeah, calling yeah, him, and yeah, there was yeah. no answer. And he yeah. had no other option. But the interesting thing is the way, and it's, and it's like this, you're watching Oedipus Rex or something, a Greek tragedy, uh, in that had not Hank, you know, talked about the drug bust and Walt seen this on TV, he perhaps would not have been spurred to this. Had Walt not sat there with Jane's father uh, commiserating over a drink and talking about children and giving them another chance, he would have left things alone, not gone to Jesse's at that moment, and been the instigator of Jane's death. So it's almost almost like the puppet master of fate, not coincidences, but these these blocks like put into effect that and like chess pieces, one after the other, uh, causation, you know, in the people's life. Just, just like Walt is the instigator of everything by blackmailing Jesse to begin with, and you, you, do, you do feel as though the fates are playing with him. I mean, I don't know whether we can jump further on, but this is the point where, you know, uh, the the literal fallout from this this man's bereavement of his daughter, and where that fallout actually happens. actually leads. And we, we can jump because it, it immediately comes to bear at the end of the season, uh, which which they have, it almost starts amusingly in the episode I want to bring up specifically. We see the bed springs going up and down and up and down and up and down. And usually that, that comes to mind, you know, people making love, you know, on a bed. Instead, it's Jesse frantically trying to revive Jane. And... Um, Jesse contacts Walt and doesn't know what to do. He's got to, you know, help Jesse. So they contact Saul, and we meet a new character at the end of the season, a cleaner, ex-cop, private investigator, and so much more, Mike Ehrmantraut, amazingly played by Jonathan Banks, who I, I recommend another series from years ago called Wise Guy. Uh, that he was in with Kevin Spacey and Ray Sharkey. But uh, Mike Ehrmantraut is there uh, in his job as cleaner to um, take care of the situation, prep Jesse for police, and make sure that there's no fallout from what's happened. Uh, did, did he make you think of, um, oh, what's the great actor, Mr. the one out of Pulp Fiction? Yes, Mr. Um, Wolf, Mr. Wolf. With Mr. Wolf from Punk Fiction, that's immediately the thought that came to yeah, mind. Yeah, exactly. With me. But and if, again, if I can just jump in, I'm sorry to keep jumping in. I, I do apologise. I keep doing it, though. I'm sorry. Um, that's what's we've talked about We've talked about uh, Brian Cranston's acting. I think when you were talking about that, uh, you know, the scene where the girl dies, the young actor who plays Jesse, uh, Aaron Paul, 
Kevin Paul. The the emotions. I mean, he must have been an absolute wreck when he acts some of these scenes. Um, I mean, he's an absolute brilliant foil. And although most people would say that Brian Cranston carries this series, uh, I feel as though that young actor, uh, and also the actor playing Gus, and and indeed the new guy you've just mentioned uh, yeah. uh, playing. Um, uh, Mike, 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 yeah, John. I mean, it's absolute class act. I mean, it's um, a lot. Um, may we just hear a little bit from Mike because I know Mike uh, uh, is is being very generous with Please. letting everybody else go. But thank you, Mike. We know that Mike is very, you know, this is very much one of Mike's pet shows. So, do you want to come in a minute, Mike? Sure. Just the introduction that we had there of Mike Airman Trout in this episode, the, the cleaner uh, guy making sure that uh, you know, no evidence got out and telling Jesse that to, to repeat that phrase, I, I woke up, I don't know what happened. I, I woke up, I found her that way, I don't know what happened is basically what he had Jesse repeat to the, to the cops. And just we had that brief introduction there. And uh, the, the character that Mike goes on to become, well, we'll see in, in, in further seasons. But, yeah, just season two, uh, just overall thoughts on, the, on season two here. Of course, season one did a good job of setting up a plot. It might have gone a bit slowly, but as one of my friends was saying, it's season, Breaking Bad is a bit slow until Walt shaves his head. Once Walt shaves his head, the show really starts rolling and doesn't, doesn't light up for a moment. Uh, just throughout, and uh, as we, just there, there are several things that there, there are lots of things going on in the season. One of the things that I, I thought Ken was going to mention when he mentioned uh, hinted at the, uh, the the black and white scenes. But if you look at the tit- episode titles for, I'm going uh, to hit. I was going to hit that last. After. Oh, okay. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's just we have those clips that lead up to something, and then we have John Dolce's character, the, the, the Jane's father. And uh, he's back at work at the, at the end of season. At the end of season two, we find out that he's uh, he's an air traffic controller, and he's there. He's there at work, and uh, he's directing tra- air traffic. And you know, if, if if you aren't familiar with the terminology, it's kind of just like, oh, he's just saying saying things that don't mean anything. But then we see the the screens, and he see we see that he's actually directing two planes right towards each other. And the planes collide. The, the planes crash in a, a fiery explosion over Walter's neighborhood, and that ties up the uh, the, the, the black and white segments yeah. that we have throughout. The, and throughout those the, black and white segments, strangely enough, mm-hmm. appear in four episodes. And if you put the titles together, there are seven thirty-seven down over ABQ. Uh, ABQ, of course, being the airport code. Albuquerque. Yeah, Albuquerque. Mm-hmm. And now Mike, Mike, tell everybody what I what I what I said to you on. Yes. On, uh, on I remember Twitter that you we were, were just before you watched that episode, soon before you watched that episode, you were telling me on a uh, direct message on Twitter that uh, Megan, you know, your wife had had to guess that that was the ultimate outcome. That that's what the black and white scenes meant was a plane oh, crash overhead. The anagram girl. The anagram girl did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You figured it out. It's like <laughs> I, I they, the plane crash. <laughs> like, what? And, you, and like, as you told me, you weren't like, looking for confirmation or denial, just nope. letting me uh, know. Just, just so we can turn around and go, see, she was right. <laughs> exactly. Now, what the whole outcome, too, of the season is we have Walt's cancer ap- operation. 
and that should he gets through it all right and that should be something overjoyed but all the lies all the strangeness everything comes to a head because Walt drug addled mentions something about they say do you have your cell phone he goes which one and after the whole thing and after Walt is back at home she says I'm moving out and I'm going to want you out because she's saying you have a you have a secret life what are you doing I'm through with you uh from everything that happened and interesting foreshadowing not only are we seeing you know the pink teddy bear you know floating in the water when Walt is in that store naked in his fugue state there is a display of all those pink teddy bears in the store and not to be spoilerish but in a way spoilerish what is the significance perhaps in the future of a pink teddy bear with half its face blown off something to ponder and see, that's the thing with the show is that looking back on it, it seems as though the writer, Vince Gilligan and his writing team, they had all this planned out from the start. But if you listen to the, to the Insider podcast, which no. if you're a fan of the show, then uh, uh, the, the Breaking Bad Insiders, that's, that's, it's a great podcast. It has Vince Gilligan and a lot of other writers and, and staff. And they, they point out that, no, they didn't. <laughs> they, they went from episode to episode and made things up as they went along. But it doesn't seem that way. It looks as though it was all a master plan. As if yeah. they meant things to happen that way. Yeah. And just okay. one other another comment that, that my friend of mine had, just on the we mentioned the acting on the show. One of my friends was, was saying how uh Breaking Bad is an exa- is it's a master class in acting. Everyone on the show is a great actor. And there's a, there's a there's a scene where where the, the baby Holly much later on in the series where she just her facial expression <laughs> is uh, is just so great where even the baby is a great actor. She needs <laughs> an Emmy for her for her saying mama. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, season two and just the, the the plane crash is is one of those it's a climactic moment not just because it's the end of the season but it's it's, that happened because of Walt. Yeah. It, yeah. Because what because of Walt did, and just suddenly it's as Gilligan has said outside of the show, it's it's like the the rain of fury from God as all this rains down upon upon Walt, and he realizes he caused this. Yeah. It's because of his his intervention with Jesse and Jane that you know, Jane died, and his father dealt with is dealing with grief and went back, and this happened. It goes back to Walt. I agree, but I also think that's the nearest they came in the whole series to jumping the shark, having the plane crash. I think that was a bit of a close call. In you know, I, I mean, I I bought it, but I think that may have been for some people jumping the shark because of taking it everything so gritty realism up to this point, and. There are elements of fantasy in a couple of these stories, as we know. But, I mean, as I say, I'm on board. Does anybody else think that might have just, you know, tested a few people when watching it? No, I liked it. 
Uh, the only problem I have with it is that his uh, Jane's father, his job wasn't really mentioned that much, if even at all, before that episode. So it's kind of just a, you know, just all of a sudden, hey, look, this is his job, and uh, let's tie all this together. But it, it it worked, you know, just showing the consequences of the, the life that Walt is is living and the outcome of his decisions. It also gave Walter the out, didn't it? Because there's the point where we actually find that it's Jesse that's feeling more guilty. And Walter, who who obviously is guilty but hiding it better, says to Jesse, now look, I don't want you... Because he says to you, all those people that died. And he immediately jumps on it and says, I don't want you to start taking the blame. And then what he's saying to Jesse is actually him saying to us, the audience, that, you know, I can rationalise this in as much as it was the psychiatrist's fault for letting him back to work and be unsupervised. And, you know, in other words, we don't have to take the blame for this. There are, you know, there's been failures all the way along the line, all these safety checks. He even goes as far as saying that, you know, these um, uh, near collision warnings don't work often. Yet we saw on the actual radar the two circles of the, the warning lights when the planes are the the icons of the planes were coming within, you know, collision course status. But the point is it allows, still at this point, um, for Walter to sort of, uh, like he can argue, as we said, Ken, he could argue he didn't kill that young girl. It was just through in, a, in not intervening that, quote-unquote, he let natural course of events take place. Yeah, in, in, interesting bit of trivia when they first were conceiving that episode Walt was going to give her an extra dose of heroin so actually actively killing her rather than allowing her to die or not taking um, a course to save her well I think this is better that would much, have, to me that would have better. been yeah that would have been too early for his that's dark arch, That's arch villainy right there. Kind of, yeah, you know, yeah it, it would have moved yeah. us too far forward. And, and Walt, Walt, progressively, he's getting his guilt. Jesse has his guilt because, because of Jane, because, of, I guess, his parents, and also the death of his friend Combo, killed by this little boy on a bike uh, working yeah, for some drug dealers. Yeah, I didn't no, see didn't that one coming. No, didn't see that, and... That that's something that that uh, rears its rears its head in the future. Uh, and for th- us. that's something that we that we see with Jesse is that he's a he's a protector of kids. Jesse cares about the kids. Yeah, he loves. We kids. see him dealing with the, the child there of those two drug those two druggy parents. Uh, and how he he calls the calls nine one one to to rescue the kid and, and leaves and how that that kid right that kid right there that we see with the gun how that affects Jesse. Yeah. Jesse should have been a teacher. Yeah, I think now we should move on to season three. And yes, just, since we're already at three hours, just a uh, a quicker synopsis of season yes. three is that we start off with uh, basically this is the season where we meet Gus, where we really meet Gus. At the at the outside outside of season three, Walt is ready to get out. Walt has this has this plane crash. Has, all this has affected him. And he's done. As we see several scenes where Walt is telling Gustavo Fearing that he's done. He doesn't. He doesn't want to make any more of these decisions. 
but uh, Walt is inevitably drawn back, back in. Gus has prepared a lab, a secret lab in the, in the basement of his laundromat with a secret, uh, with, a, with, a, with a fake entrance, uh, a, a washing machine that, that pulled, that could be turned away to reveal, reveal a secret entrance. And everything is set to hide the lab away underground. And Gus even gives uh, Walt, a, 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 you know, a lab partner, uh, Gail Bede- uh, Bedeker, uh, who's his partner there. He's Gail is another is a is an educated man who's who's uh, w- well versed in literature and uh, and very chemistry. nice fellow, very very nice fellow, very poetic fellow. He's well versed in uh, Walt Whitman's poetry, uh, Grass of uh, Leaves of Grass, uh, Walt Whitman's book. Uh, we got uh, I heard from the learned per- uh, astronomer. I keep forgetting the name of the, of the poem that Joel reads, of the Whitman poem. But uh, just they, this is the season where we meet those characters. Gil is introduced as a character, and Walt and Jesse are drawn further into this uh, this meth empire world. And Hank continues his pursuit. We have another side story going on where continues the Salamanca family uh, story that we have going on in the background, where suddenly. It's, it, this is kind of told vaguely, not quite outright, but we see these two twins, these two, these two, these two um, men in their tw- late, in their like what, thirty years or so. They're 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 shaped, clean shaven. They're 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 twins. They're traveling north to deal with the death of uh, Tuco, and we find out that they're his uh, cousins. Was it? Yeah, we see a wonderful we see a wonderful scene in the, the nephews, beginning. Nephews, of the with, old guy. With, with in a ritual, we see Mexican uh, folk of all strata crawling on the ground like lizards to some small hovel. A Mercedes stops, and these two impeccably dressed, clean-shaven uh, men get out, whose boots have small skulls, uh, silver-tipped skulls on them. They also go on the ground crawl to this little hovel and it's to an idol of sangre morte it's an act it's an actual uh, ritual that they have in mexico they put the picture of walt is heisenberg there a drawing there as an offering to gut to the god of death for um to give them uh, grace to kill him because they're they're related, they're uh, nephews to uh, Hector Tio Salamanca, and are coming from uh, Mexico over the border to uh, kill Walt. And it's and, recur- and, this recurring theme of protecting the family. Yes. Can I can I interject here because I haven't had a lot to say. Go ahead. I well, but can <laughs> I get a lot, can I get some love for Mike here? And I don't mean Mike Randolph Thor. <laughs> Why not? But uh, I mean, I just, I just uh, gotta love Jonathan Banks as Mike. Um, it's just this, this old dude who's just had enough of everybody's crap and has to tidy up everything. I just, uh, I just love him. All right, just wanted to say that. Fix the car. Fix the car, Walt. Fix the car. Fix the car. Yeah, get, would you get that fixed? Get the car fixed. <laughs> and he's a great yeah, grandpa. I, I, yeah, I just love fix it, Mike. 
And the balloons. <laughs> the balloons. The balloons are great. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. I just had to say that because I haven't said an awful lot. I, right. I, I, I say a prayer. I'm, I'm so mad Jonathan Banks didn't get an Emmy. Mm. And, uh, I, I, I agree with you, and I like the way that um, it's his character. You know, is so efficient. He doesn't waste energy. You know, you, you ever watch any of these films where the, the villain does all these sort of things? Even with the um, and Raiders of the Lost Ark, the bloke with the whip and all that, and and uh, Han Solo, uh, Han Solo, never mind Han Solo. Um, <laughs> what's he? Shooter, get me things. With. The point is that you would imagine that the that a person like that saves emotional energy. He doesn't do it, you know. You want that man killing? Oh, I suppose so. All right, I'll do it. And he does it with the the minimum of fuss, quietly. It's nothing personal, and so on. Um, that plays very well to a later scene. Uh, when they're going to take uh, Walter down below, but yeah. anyway, go on, Ian. No, that was all I wanted to add, and it's just because uh, I, I, I've been away for a bit, so I wasn't sure if you guys talked about Mike yet. Oh, yeah. but I love Mike. <laughs> He's fun. Oh, but yeah, this is the season where they, where Walt and Jesse become involved in, in working for Gus, and and Gal is the is, is Walt's assistant at first, but then Walt realizes that he. Would rather he he would rather work with Jesse, and so then we get the whole agenda of uh, Walt of Gail as the missing as sort of the the third will or whatever that Gus is. We they figure out that Gus is training uh, training Gail to take over from Walt, and that and then once Gail can cook as well as as Walt, that Walt will no longer be necessary, and so then we get the the, the Walt hatching his own plan to get rid of Gail. To secure his own, to secure his own life, and this is this is the season of Gel, basically. Where we get a plot element of the book I mentioned, that the book uh, Leaves of Grass, which is the Walt Whitman poetry collection, where Walt is given that book, and the, the there's so many parallels from the, the like the, the, even the poem there that that Gel recites. It's and we see that Walt has been given that book as a gift, and. Yeah, that that book is it's become sort of a symbol of the t- tenuous friendship of whatever the the working partnership between the two of them. Well, Mike, I don't I don't think that Gus ever has an intent of replacing Walt at that time. Oh, okay, that's it's, season, it's, season it's four. Later, it's later. I mean, okay, that's a season four. There, there's something Gus likes Walt in the beginning. And Walt, I think, really likes Gus. There's a terrible simpatico quality in men of respect, I guess it is. I think they admire each other's intelligence. And in a in a sit-down... The same approach to chemistry as well. Approach to chemistry, life. And now... There's a question about um, who is Gus, and in some ways, Walt is a lot worse than Gus, and that might be shocking, but Gus, from a scene later on, which is which is a flashback with uh, Hector and the cousins when they were young boys, he has a phone call, and, and it's... Don Eladio, who is part of this cartel on the phone, 
and they're talking about uh, some deal 20 years earlier about coming up, and he's saying, I, I hate these Chileans, they're filthy people, uh, little generalissimo, uh, chicken man. I think nothing of him. Um, evidently, well, during Pinochet's reign, after his fall, there were expatriate Chileans that uh, came you know, to Mexico and then to the U.S., etc. The question is, was Gus a strong man in the fascist Pinochet regime, or was he anti-Pinochet? We're not really knowing, you know, exactly. I, 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 sorry, um, I, I don't think he is in. Uh, by the way, that, that reference I made before, I was talking about uh, about the science. I, I meant uh, with um, not with Gus, but with um, Kale. Uh, that thing, but ah. um, no, the the scene that we have at the the, uh, the in the past at the pool, where yes. Gus's friend is murdered. I mean, at that point, you feel as though. Um, Gus is not the hardened criminal. In other words, at that stage, Gus is very much like our Walter is now. But he has you know, very strong uh, connections. On a turning, on a turning point. Yes. And, and, and can I just ask one more question of the the group here? That um, there seem to be some very prolonged scenes just in Spanish, uh, and without default, um, you know. Um, what's it word, narration coming on the screen. I mean, obviously, you can switch that on on the DVDs. Subtitles. But I mean, uh, yeah, some, but there was no... Ob- I mean, sometimes when you see these films where they go into foreign language, they automatically come on the translation on screen. Um, and you were virtually not left in the, the dark, but you were having to sort of guess what was going on. And sometimes you could guess, you know, the, the, the horse trading that was going on and things like that. But did anybody feel as though that was pushed to a limit at some points or not? No. Well, I know that the Netflix version does have subtitles, so... Yeah. Right, well, it doesn't on the DVDs. I think most of the Spanish yeah. scenes, like the scene with the pool and the scenes with Hector, seem to have subtitles. No, not mine. Not in the region, too. Really? No. Weird. No, because they, they all have subtitles. I thought. No. Even, yeah, on, even, even, the, even on the broadcast the season, version. Yeah, I, I'm looking at the season two box set right here, and it has subtitles. Yeah, nothing, but, oh, yeah, you can switch subtitles on, but they don't oh, automatically come on. It's hardwired into the, they're not hardwired into the picture. Yeah. Oh, but, I, but I mean, right. when they speak Spanish, they, they usually have subtitles when I've seen them. All the no. scenes, then they're, then they're speaking Spanish. No, not on my DVDs, no. Hmm. Uh-huh. That's odd. I'd complain about that. I mean, that's weird because I even on the broadcast version, I thought it was done deliberately, artistically. In fact, in a no. way, it, it lent a realism to it because um, you know you're having to work out what was going on at these points, which made sudden acts of violence even more making you jump out of your seats because yeah. you, you're only getting a clue as to what was happening. And then we have that sudden scene with, of course, the uncle, but the, now before he's in a wheelchair. Uh, you know, shoot his friend at the side of the pool. And and the other ones, Gus is in fear of his life at this point. And basically, they own him there. Uh, And that's what's hardened Gus to how he is now. 
Yeah, no, truly, it's, it's I've, every version I've seen has all the Spanish subtitles. So I, there might be something wrong with your ver- the copy. Seriously. Well, I've watched, the, I've watched them on the computer DVD player rather than my TV's DVD player. Hmm. Uh, but if they were hardwired into the screen, they would have shown up anyway, wouldn't they? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, uh, that's something I'll try and check for next week. Yeah, this is season three. All everything that we have going on with Gus and Gal, it comes to an end there at the uh, with a very uh, climactic scene there at Gal at his apartment, and we see all of his eccentric furnishings there at his apartment, and listening to his music, well, and he's preparing dinner. He has a, he has a tea kettle on, and he has a visitor there. This is after uh, soon after we get, we get a scene with Saul and along with Skyler and Walt, and they're trying to set up a he knows. A business to launder their money. I think that was this episode when yeah. they were trying to set the uh, laser. Yeah, um, what what, laser. what eventually happens is that um, Jesse maybe not uh, is is after being in rehab um, meets a young lady Andrea um, Andrea with her young son Brock. She talks about her brother who she hasn't seen, but her brother has been involved in in the gangs and who killed someone. And it it hit a chord. We find out that the little boy on the bicycle is Andrea's younger brother. And Jesse checks into this to, to see what this is all about, does a deal, buys some of the meth, and finds out it's, the blue sky, the meth that him and Walter are producing. So this is a brief correction. There is the, the laser tag is in this episode. As uh, of course, at this point, uh, Jesse is already being hunted by Gus and Mike, and Mike uh, pays a visit to Saul to try to get the uh, get the uh, to find out where. Jesse's hiding out, and Saul gives a fake address to somewhere in Virginia, where in actuality Jesse's hanging out at a sort of a disused laser tag in town, and that's where Walter and Jesse meet. Yeah, but um, they they have. Can I just jump in second again? Go ahead. Sorry, uh, you must feel me, but I'm just reading on a um, a forum here. Uh, watching season three and the scenes with Gus Evil Twin when they're talking Spanish to each other. Is there meant to be English subtitles on this or what? Uh, if not, why well, can't find this translation for what they're saying online? So hmm. it, it must be there isn't meant to, and then somebody answers, there isn't meant to be subtitles. I've watched the full season and I was never lost uh, uh, because I couldn't understand them. I think if you want a translation, you're just going to have to watch them all first and then go and look in the spoilers. And then That's the conversation goes I, I'm not going to read any more. But I think Ian has a suggestion just to make, by the way. Yeah, I, and I agree with that suggestion there, Ian. Yeah, yeah my suggestion it? being that uh, we, yeah. uh, we, we hold off, uh, we actually... Um, that would be good. Uh, season yeah. three and, and then go to Nick, because... What we weren't expecting when we we set all this up, of course, was the uh, the um, uncover the the release of the, the missing episodes of Doctor Who. Blame um, the BBC for ruining the for ruining the timing on this episode. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so we weren't expecting to go quite so long today. I mean, this is actually no later than we normally go. Plus, we actually started, believe it or not, on time today. So wow, um, imagine that. Turned into a, a very, very, very long um, episode, and we understand, you know. Me and podcasts um, actually start on time sometimes. Yes, I know. It's like, I I don't know what happens. That's what happens when I'm sick and Dave's in charge. <laughs> <laughs> Your coffee didn't taste funny, did it, Ian? <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. Hey, did you get that pop line I sent you? Get that pop line. Oh, I've got something to say about that, but that's in the next yeah. season. So yeah, yeah, I mean, we'll wrap up on this, but you yeah. know, um, I'll go. I'll go I, 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 I mean, I didn't want to. I didn't want to close out right here, but it was just before we got too far and. Yeah. Uh, or too I just, I just want to say a few uh, things about. This this season. Yeah, finish it? this season. Yeah, yeah no, 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 no problem. I just wanted to say, you know, let people. Oh, know that I think that's that's yeah. really good. Yeah. To do it next week. Is it, cause there's more time to yeah. to focus on, you know, the the wrapping up basically yeah. the whole thing. So. Okay. Um, Jesse has been skimming uh, off of the drugs they're making and selling it himself on the side, which is a terrible danger. Um. And Walt has no proof of this, but he's but he's feeling he might. Um, Jesse is going to take care of the drug dealers who had Combo killed, and he's intercepted by Mike. And there's a sit down with Gus, the the drug dealers that work for Gus, and Walt and Jesse. The interesting thing about this, and it's the only time it ever happens, Jesse is sitting on the other side of the table. Walt and Gus are sitting on the same side of the table. They're simpatico. They're like two forces together. Walt went to Gus, told him about Jesse's intention for revenge. Walt is in Gus's confidence. So they're together. The offset of this meeting and is for them to shake hands, make the peace. Uh, Jesse screams and goes, they're using kids. They're using kids. Well, I thought you were a businessman. I, I, I thought you were, you know, I go, what are you doing? Using children, forcing them to kill people? And Gus looks at the men that work for him and goes, you'll make the peace? And no children. So apparently peace is made. And Jesse is having this affair with with Andrea. And she gets a phone call. Her brother, the young lad, boy on the bicycle, they found dead, killed. So those drug dealers killed him. Either as retribution or to shut him up, or as a warning, or on Gus's orders. We don't know. But Jesse is now breathing fire. He takes a gun. He's going to kill them. They're on the street. Walt knows what's happening. Jesse is going toward them, and Walt careens in in his car, his Aztec, and runs them over. The drug dealer that's still alive on the ground, Walt gets his gun, puts it to his head, kills him. 
So again, Walt being proactive, but he did it to save Jesse. He looks at Jesse and says, run. Now, that was an episode at the end called Half Measures. It's a story Mike tells that when he's a cop where he didn't intervene and a woman was killed, he goes and he gives a warning to Walt to, you know, lay off things. He goes, no more half measures, Walt, which means you deal with me, I do full measures, which is the title of the end episode of the season, season 13. Uh, Walt has a meeting with Gus in the desert uh, who says, has your condition worsened? Are you insane? Do you see spots before your eyes? Well, you must have to have done this. I go, you do this? for a junkie and he goes he goes did you have uh, a a child was murdered Gus looks at him enraged going are you saying that I kill children and he is really enraged by this which goes maybe he did not give the order you know Uh, but it's only a matter of time now we go to Gail's apartment. The doorbell rings. Gail is singing this very interesting, strange Italian song. And who's at the door but Gus? And he's in his friendly entrepreneur mode, in a sweater, glasses, smiling. Has a nice chat with Gail. Says, uh, if we have you cooking, and he's cooking with Walt, he's back with Walt, you know, after Jesse now is on the lamb. He says, how long before you were able to do the cook on your own? Because there's something about Walt you know, don't know. He's dying of cancer. Gail's distressed. He says, I don't know. Maybe one or two cooks. Uh, Gus gives him a withering look. You mean like one more cook? Yeah, the look is giving to him. He goes, well, one cook, I guess. So... What's going to happen? Gail can take over, and Gus is going to kill Walt and kill Jesse. Uh, Walt's at home. They find out Gail's address because that's the only thing they can do now is if Gail's out of the way, Gus has no one, no one to cook meth for them, and he'll have to use them. At least Walter does say, I don't like this at all. But if it's. If yeah, he doesn't want go, to do Gale it. Gail or me, it's, yeah, going, to it's going to be Gail. And push comes to shove. They get Walt at home, take him to the laundry, get him behind, and use some excuse that there's something leaking below. Walt knows it's nothing of the fact. And he looks at Mike and goes, Please don't do this. Don't do this. And Mike, being the pragmatist and why we love him, goes, shut up, Walt. You're not making it any easier. Just just shut up, Walt. And Walt quickly calls Jesse. No, no, no. He convinces. He's very convinced, as he thinks, says to, to him, and we think he's going to shop Jesse to save his own life. 
He says, "Let me call. I'll give you Jesse. I'll give you Jesse." Oh yeah, I'll give you. I'll give you Jesse. I'll give you Jesse for me. I'll give you Jesse for me. Right. And he calls, gets him on the phone, and quickly blurts out Gail's address. Shuts the phone. Looks at Mike and goes, "You're too late." Tells them it's Gail's address. They look terrified. The uh, one of the uh, workers for Gus uh, quickly leaves. And at the very end of season three, we have uh, Gail making some tea, his phone sliding over a bunch of CDs, unanswered, music blaring so he can't hear a thing. The doorbell rings, he opens the door, and there's Jesse with gun pulled, pulled at Gale, points it, the shots ring out, and fade to black. And then we'll have season four next week on Cult and Collective. Yeah, but I've got to say the cliffhanger here as well is, just before he pulls the gun, he seems to move the gun to one side. Move it to the right. We're not sure. Uh, We're not sure what happens. Does he kill him, or does it just, or he does his resolve goes away, or does he wound him? And Gail is begging him, saying, "You don't have to do this. You don't have to do this." Beautiful job by the actor there that plays uh, Gail Bedecker. If I remember correctly, the gunshot is, is after they fade to black and just before executive producer Vince Gilligan comes up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's the end of season three there. Yeah. Amazing. And if memory serves, we also get to see a Las Pollo Hermanos commercial yes. this, this season. which fades to them producing their meth. Well, that was a great summation of that one. I I don't know whether I want to add anything more on season three. I I, I feel as though we're at a great point here. Uh, Mike, do you want to have any ending comments? I'm sure Ian's like me. Thank you, Mike. Perhaps wait until next week. (laughs) Just, uh, you know, season three, it's, it's, it's if somebody one of my friends said that as I mentioned before, you know it's it's when Walt shaved his head that the ball really starts rolling on the show, but uh, here we are at the end of season three and uh, power plays are being made. Uh, of course, Gus is in control, but you can clearly tell that Walt wants wants that control. He wants that power, and he's going to try whatever it takes to achieve that power. And taking out Gell is putting a, real, putting a major wrench in Gus's plans. And Gus, as Ken was saying there, Gus was trying to train uh, Gell into taking over the lab and being the main cook. Well, Walt didn't want that because yeah. that would mean Walt. Walt's own, Walt's own life would be forfeit. I mean, at this point, I think Walt's just trying to make himself indispensable rather than right. in control. Right. But something it, 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 it's protection of his own life, you know. Yeah. <laughs> something really interesting about Gus and Mike. Whatever you want to say about Gus, 
and there's a lot, when you're on his side, there seems to be a great loyalty to him. When he invites Walt to his home for dinner, uh, making that special dish from his youth, he really wants to get to know him. He He's really breaking bread. I, I think it's also a matter of control, too. But Mike is a very loyal man. I mean, yes, he's an assassin. Yes, he's a cleaner. And in his fashion, he's consigliere uh, to uh, Gus. But there's a real sense of loyalty. Why is he so amazingly loyal to this man? It's not just the job. There's something in his character that moves him. You know, and the pieces that are moving with Gus, um, you know, when um <clears throat> when we when we see uh you know, flashbacks, etc. The power play he's making, the overall plan, he's been waiting 20 years to do. So uh, he he holds loyalty and with with very high regard. And his background again is it's couched in a lot of mystery. He mentions children, you know, to Walt. We don't see any evidence of a wife or children. We see this one home. I'm guessing that he has many homes, you know, you know, around. But there, there is a time there before the other enmity starts. I think Walt really admires Gus and vice versa. And they're, they're shadows of each other. They're shadows of each other. And more of that comes later as the seasons go on. Yeah, I, I think uh, one of the great things about having the Gus character is, is, you know, he must have gone through the very similar process that we're now seeing Walter go through. Um, and basically the end product. I mean, that's the only trouble about this slippery slope to the top. He's spending all that effort that, that, that... I don't think actually at this point Walter wants to get to the top. He just wants, as I say, to ensure his survival, make sure he's safe, make sure his family's safe. He has to keep reassuring his estranged wife. Um, and, the, you know, we're in a, a great place for CC. I mean... The, the, I can't. I don't know which of these first three series I like the best, but what I do like is the progression. Not always a forwards progression. It's a, you could say it's a downward spiral in some ways, but um, brilliantly acted, brilliantly played, brilliantly put together. All those little touches that 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 frequent viewers like to see. You know, when you actually watch certain little things on screen that uh, they do. But it, I don't think we ought to extend our core. We've gone what, three hours, 38 minutes. Um, so, unless Ian wants to have a final word, Ian, do you want to have a final word or do you want to let, let Mike take no, us out? I'm, I'm good and then Mike can take us out. Sorry, folks, I'm just, yeah. yeah. Okay, and, and I'll play, as soon as you finish, Mike, I'll play the outro. Unless you want me to do the thanking of people. 
Oh, he's, uh, his music, he must have, did he drop it? He, he must have lost his audio and come back in because he must have been muted through that point. No, it's his, it's Mike? Skype, Skype must have hung up on me. Must have, maybe there's a maximum call lit on Skype. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it's, we're three seasons in. We've, we're at four, we've got two seasons left, and uh, that's what we'll be covering next week, uh, everything that happens there. And hopefully Ian and Dave... Uh, one of the two, or hopefully both, will have reached the end of the series and be able to uh, not have to shy away from spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Megan and I will be will be there. <laughs> Just uh, my wife's already been asking me how many we got left. <laughs> <laughs> that that point in the final episode when the when the words executive producer Vince Gilligan come up on screen. No. <laughs> <laughs> and then you go back to the beginning and start all over again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right, but yeah, go ahead and take us on out there, Mike. But uh, yeah, just throughout this show, there, there's a, even though the, the writers admit that they make everything up, made everything up as they as they go along, everything fits together perfectly. Everything just makes sense. There's the, the coloring of, of the sets, of outfits. There's Marie's obsession with the color purple. Dave <laughs> mentioned that the other day. <laughs> Going out and buying purple kitchen appliances. <laughs> There's uh, the, the color blue as it's used throughout the show. There's just everything makes sense in the show. Uh, clothing choices, song choices. Uh, whenever, whenever they use a song, it, it's not by accident. But, and if you actually pay attention to the lyrics, the lyrics actually makes sense with the show and the plot. That's something to keep an eye on. But that's, again, you, as you went, Ian mentioned there, a rewatch of the series. Once you finish the series and go back and rewatch it, you start noticing these things that you didn't notice before, and you start fitting it into with what comes what comes before and what comes after. And it, it's puzzle pieces that fit together well. And just the, the last thing that I have to say here is... Better call Saul! There we go. Okay, well, thanks, everybody. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Kev. Great things. And um, uh, for Ian, I'll say um, uh, it's uh, good night from Ian, and it's good night from me. See you next week for Season 4 and 5. Bye, all.